Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Consequence of Sound. We did it. We are on our final episode of Pet Cemetery, in which we are going to be discussing not only Pet Cemetery, the film, but its sequel. Ooh. Yeah. Meow. Hope the other three of you prepared for this. Well, <laughs> you seem pretty I know a lot of surprise when I mentioned it. A lot of people out there don't know that Pet Cemetery 2 exists. That's true. I'm looking forward to breaking down. And, and we will also be discussing <laughs> a documentary that came out a couple years ago mm-hmm. about the making of the original Pet Cemetery film called Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I, I don't know. It. No, What's it's the name? Not. It's <laughs> Unearthed and Untold or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. Unearthed and Untold The Path to Pet Cemetery. I'm looking forward to discussing. I saw a couple years ago. I believe for anybody out there that's looking for it, I think it's still on Shutter. It's right it's now. for free if you have Amazon Prime as well. I watched it Ooh. today. If you've got the internet, you can find it for free. Okay. It sounds like at this point. And after our sure to be intoxicating conversation about the films, please be sure to stick around because we interviewed Mary Lambert, who directed Pet Cemeteries One and Two as well as some of your favorite music videos, uh, particularly from the 80s. We, we talk a little bit about that, but she directed some great Madonna videos from the era and uh, a Sting, Sting video and Sting. some Queensryche. We can go on and on. But So make sure you stick around after this discussion for that really, really good, insightful, I would even say, mm-hmm. Mary Lambert interview. But before we get digging, let's go around the table and see who the hell's here. So who is right in front of me? Oh, this is Mackenzie uh, McCaff Gerber. And I am um, a big pet head. I love Pet 1 and Pet 2. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm only a really big fan of Pet 2. You're a... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sarcasm <laughs> overload tonight. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> and who is that to your left? That would be Michael Miko Hughes. Oh. Rothman. And uh, I'm editor-in-chief of Consequences Sound and a huge fan of the first... Pet Cemetery movie. Mm-hmm. We've established that too. That's mm-hmm. good to be exciting to talk about. To my right is somebody who's a fan of one of these movies as well. I'm, I'm a fan of both. Oh. This is Mel Maine as a character in the film, Castle. <laughs> and I like both films. I think I'm going to be the most vocal supporter for the second one. I'm excited to live in that lonely boat afloat in an ocean. Hey, you know what they say... Moving on. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Did I say my name is Justin Gerber yet? Not no. yet. Well, my name is Justin Gerber, and I'm a senior writer What's at your Consequence of Sound. You get no. Oh, my middle name is Justin. It's Justin. Justin. Justin Juniper Hills. <laughs> Justin Fred Gwyn Gerber. <laughs> Justin Gwyn Gerber. Justin Gwyn Gerber. And I am also from Ludlow, Maine. <laughs> yeah, right. Lame. That's a lie. Hey, Mike. Why don't you pull up on your little computer there some information about 1989's Pet Cemetery? Well, we better start with the release date. And this film came out on April 21st, 1989. Where were you on April 21st, 1989? I can tell you where I was. Yeah, yeah, where? I can tell you where I was. <laughs> I know I was, where you were. I was in the city of Phoenix, Arizona, a home of the introduction of Psycho. 
That's the first scene with Marion and, and Sam. And um, it was very likely 100 degrees outside. Uh-huh. That's mm-hmm. all I got. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, I was uh, deep, deep in a womb. <laughs> deep in that womb. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I was born June 20th of that year, so. Wow. I was just readying for my debut. Now, did my your parents see this in theaters? It's possible. Interesting. My birth is on June 21st. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, man. But I was born in 83. Six years before this movie came out. Ooh, creepy. And I would say, <laughs> when is your birthday, Mac? June 21st. The summer solstice, also the longest day of the year. And you might say you were almost born six months before the book came out. Wow. Ooh. Those are two sixes. We just need one more, and we got 666. Six, six. Ooh, we'll, we'll figure it's that six out. It's 6 o'clock right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's actually not. It's a 718 on the dial. And uh, I'm going uh, to go into a little history about this movie. Wait, where were you when it came out? Oh, where was I? Well, um, I was uh, months away from going into Catholic school. So the These are great time. times for you. These are really these are, great times. These are like your, your lean years. I was uh, five years old, uh, a little uh, tubby Jewish kid oh. that was uh, going right into uh, Episcopalian school, actually. It was Episcopalian school yes, for about 12 years. About the Catholic and then, school you went to. Then I went into Catholic school for high school for four years. So this was right before then. So when Dale Midkiff, with his midriff, was, uh, <laughs> on, was on the silver screen, uh, little Michael Rothman was riding around on his bike not knowing the months and years of Christian pain that were waiting. Well, speaking of Christian pain... Um, Paramount Pictures distributed <laughs> Pet Cemetery. Is that correct? It is. It is correct. And they still hold the rights to this very day, and they are actually going to be uh, producing the new remake. Yeah. So keep that in mind throughout this entire discussion. Because we will be talking about the remake by the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, fun fact, this film came out in 1989. book came out in 1983. A little bit of a journey. But do you know who was the original director that was supposed to do this? My, my friend. I call him Gar. Gar. <laughs> George A. Romero. That's right. George A. Romero. What is your favorite Romero film? Oh, I'm going I'm to be controversial and say Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Bruce Not Monkey Shines. <laughs> yeah, Monkey Shines. That's why he didn't do it. That, it is why. It is shines. why. I, I wonder uh, if he... Uh, I like to quote me and say, uh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> whoops on that decision. Yeah. Major uh, whoops. Yeah. I don't know, because then we wouldn't have what we have. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, woman director, horror film. Yeah, Love that's it. true. And we're not discrediting Mary Lambert's work because she did an excellent job in this film, and we're going to be digressing and dissecting this film. But first, let's go through a little bit of history. Uh, We know that uh, Stephen King Mm -hmm. actually adapted this film himself, Mm -hmm. which is why it's so awesome. (laughs) So radical. (laughs) It's so radical. Uh, We know that uh, it was actually filmed in Maine, which is a big deal, Mm -hmm. as it's described in the documentary. He insisted upon it. He insisted upon it. Whatever yeah. Daddy King wants, Daddy King gets. Oh, can it does. We please not do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it should be noted that uh, there's a there's a lot of little cool backstory, uh, you know, behind the scenes things about this. But uh, basically, this was Mary Lambert's second feature film. Uh, she had been, you know, as we had mentioned, known for directing music videos, and uh, you don't really see the music video touch with no, this film. No. You do see it in the second movie, though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, there's a, you know, we got a great cast here. We got, as we said, Dale Midkiff as Lewis Creed, Fred Gwynn as Judd Crandall, Denise Crosby as Rachel Goldman Creed, Miko Hughes from Full House, 
as Gage Creed. <laughs> whoa, whoa, reveal. <laughs> yeah, oh. big, big reveal. Uh, just like a big truck. Blaze Birdow <laughs> as Ellie Creed. And Brad. And her twin sister. And her twin sister, yes, that's true. Um, and Brad Greenquist as my favorite character of the film, Victor Pascal. <laughs> I'd say he's inarguably not my favorite character. I'd say that's a real hot take. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> no one would argue with you, Justin, that he's your favorite character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, you know, Elliot Goldenthal uh, did the score. He, of course, did Batman Forever. He did. And he did <laughs> many other scores that are great, but uh, let's go to that one. Uh, oh, Batman and Robin. I forgot. Uh, the Batman Forever score is pretty decent. And there's a popular band that happens to do the theme song of this movie. Mm. The Clash. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just no, Joe Strummer solo. No, it's the replacements. It, but uh, no, 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 no. Let's be serious for three seconds. Go. The Ramones. Okay, we we can stop being serious. That's we can, the real one. That's the real. That's, that's the, the real one. band. Uh, Sheena is a punk rocker. Great song. Great song. Appears when it uh, when, during the Gage Massacre. <laughs> yeah, when the truck driver <laughs> sought out and murdered one person in that massacre. Uh-huh. No, he's talking about the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they also did the titular song. And I uh, also did a music video for it. What are your thoughts on this song? Love it. I love it. Yeah. I've always loved it. Um, probably the first, repl- I almost said replacements. <laughs> probably the first Ramon song I was familiar with growing up was because of this film. And it was that song that plays during the end credits. But I've always loved it. Really? It's very interesting yeah. that it plays in the end credits, too, because it's such a dour ending. Yeah. And then it goes right into I think this... But at the same time, it wasn't like this was the... You also had Victor Pascal making jokes with the truck driver three seconds before the mother dies. It's the into the vibe of the second film. That's true. Yes. I do feel, though... I feel like he's in credits. I do feel like you kind of need that, though, because it is such a... Oh, just a downer of ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to, to to go into something like that's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm still I'm I'm still alive. I'm gonna have fun <laughs> listening to Ramones. Mm. Well, it's interesting that the original cut of the film, when it was originally delivered to Paramount, it was judged to be too long, so they had to actually cut out some excess footage. It's not really a fun fact. It happens a lot on a lot of movies. <laughs> do you know and what they cut though? I do not know. Um, Mary Lambert actually talks a little bit about some things they cut. And you'll have to stick around for our interview later yeah, on to find we're gonna out. Have, we're going to have some uh, fun little anecdotes there. They uh, actually thought the closing scene was too tame, so they had to reshoot that. And uh, according to Los Angeles Times, they, they wrote that it defied the critics and opened at blockbuster levels. Because currently, it sits on Rotten Tomatoes at 48%, which we know is an awful movie, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but it uh, it grossed $57 million in North America at the time, which is a lot of money. And that's a lot of money for a horror movie at the time, too. So Stephen King was clearly a powerful brand. Even though, you know, 89, it's coming after a long decade of some pretty shitty adaptations. Well, I think right before that, we either right before or right after we had Graveyard Shift. And then we had a couple years before that, A Return to Salem's Lot, the classic film directed by Larry Gilm. Just the worst movie ever. So this seemed to be, uh, you know, a return to form. Although, (laughs) was it really a return to form? Have we ever had a form at this point up to, you know, up to Pet Cemetery? I mean, obviously you had Carrie. Mm -hmm. You had the Salem's Lot TV show. Shining, Dead Zone. Shining, which isn't, yeah. So I guess you do have like some classic Cujo, Cat's Eye. Yeah. But he hadn't. Firestarter. (laughs) Firestarter. But like King at that point, the only one he had actually adapted himself was Maximum Overdrive, right? Yes, and show. he also did, he did all the of Cat's Eye. Oh, and Cat's, yeah. and Cat's Eye. But and some of those were. I think it absolutely fits right in with those. It, it doesn't feel aesthetically necessarily different from from the gritty tone of those movies. I would agree. 
Yeah. Except for the Alan Silvestri themed uh, cat's eye. <laughs> Does he really oh, do this? Yeah, the, the, yeah it was the oh, same year of Back to the Future. God. Isn't that crazy? But so at, at some point he was doing the, he was scoring the scene where George punches Biff out. And they're like, all right, um, we're, we're, that's a wrap today. Uh, I'm actually uh, sticking around. Oh, okay, Alan, uh, we'll leave the keys for you. And then all of a sudden, like, Drew Barrymore, like, appears with, like, the gnome. And he had to, like, score it literally right after one of the And then after scenes. that, he said, you need to get out of here. I've got Cujo chasing the cat. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I read that a lot of those, a lot of the, the score for Back to the Future was unused, that those tracks, for the scenes like that that were literally, like, 15 seconds long, he had written tracks that were, like, eight minutes long, and they just used that stuff for Cat's Eye. I'm joking. Oh, my God. I was going to say. <laughs> you were a dry, Jesus. dry as a yeah. bone tonight. <laughs> I can't even, that, I'm dry. That, that I can't even delivery. People wow. are just, I mean, how could you believe any of that? Story. You're a good actor. Oh Always God. Well, either way, that's the rundown, I think, of the history. I think that brings us up to speed. I mean, as I mentioned, it was shot in Maine. Uh, so that's obviously lends itself, uh, you know, a realistic, naturalistic setting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Mel and I were talking before the podcast uh, and we were talking about how like it really does feel like the setting from the book. And that's what I love about this movie. Even though apparently Judd's house is just a facade, it's actually not a real house. It does feel like very lived in. It, it feels like they actually it just it feels like a Stephen King setting because yeah. it is <laughs> because it's it's actually filmed there. And we're going to talk about the second one soon. And we'll talk about how that was filmed in Georgia and why the differences really do matter. But, yeah, I mean, there's an authenticity to this film that I don't think was really in any of the other Stephen King adaptations maybe at this point, other than maybe Maximum Overdrive because King just had his hand in everything with that, um, with our boy Dino. And that but ended up being a problem, obviously. Major problem. So do we have any information? Is it possible to find any information about Pet Cemetery 2? Is there something called the internet we could possibly Do we want to do on? the history of Pet Cemetery 2, or do we want to go... I guess we have to do both of them at the same time, right? That's okay. right. Well, Pet Cemetery 2 came out on August 28th, 1992. Now, let me ask all of you a question. Mm -hmm. Where were you on August 28th, 1992? Mel? Oh, man. Oh, 92. I will, Little baby Mel. I might have been in... I was either in Pittsburgh or Rhode Island. Ooh. Um, either Pittsburgh or Providence. Oh, yeah. Pittsburgh, or, Pittsburgh or Providence? Yep. One of the Sounds piece. like the name of an album. That's the name of my memoir. <laughs> That's a good memoir. <laughs> Thanks. You, you with sunglasses Harper and a peace Collins, sign. Uh, 2019. <laughs> I already got I already ordered it on Kindle. Yeah. Um... So, so where did my 20s go? Where, the Melka well, story. I, I believe, so it's seven days after my birthday. So that was eight years old at that point. And I don't remember what my birthday party was in 92. I remember 93, I had a, a Jurassic Park birthday. I don't remember what I did in 92, though. That's were the big sweet, movies? though. It was, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a freaking sweet birthday. Actually, you know what it was? It was probably a Batman Returns party. It, re it wow. was, actually. Because I, I believe I had... A birthday party at an ice skating rink, and I probably had a Batman cake because I was obsessed with Batman Returns. You were, but you dressed as Michael Moriarty's character, the the the, the mayor. <laughs> I did. Yeah, he's my favorite character. Is that Michael Moriarty? No, no. Michael Moriarty. I apologize. Is from a Return to Salem's Lot and the <laughs> stuff. You just wanted to reference Return to Salem's Lot. I made a huge mistake. Hey, you know, where were Ma you, Mac? Where in were you? August of ninety two. Weren't you guys like where, together? Where were you in '92? <laughs> I think it rhymes. I was in Orlando, Florida. Confirmed, you were uh, there. But you know, '90 to '95 was a, a, a real big haze for me. I don't really remember. Those were your drug years from nine to twelve. Yeah, oh, I man. you know, yeah. I, it, I was what was it? First grade through fifth grade, mm -hmm. and 
I don't remember a damn thing. Weren't those the years that you were kidnapped? <laughs> Honestly, I would have, well, wow, I would have been in second grade, so I was probably meeting who would end up being one of my best and closest friends. Uh, <laughs> oh, you want to give her last name on the podcast? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, make sure you go on Facebook or no, no Instagram knows. or no Twitter and type no it in. You'll find her and locate her. And you, 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 could, you know what, Mike? Uh, let's, let's bleep that out with, uh, with, a cat, <laughs> with a cat screech. No, we're keeping it in. <laughs> nope. Sorry, Kelly. Keeping it in. <laughs> You're going to be found out. You could take that name to the Micmac burial ground. Um, I would. Yeah. Um, the, at the age, the tender age, one might say, of eleven when this film came out. Um, lucky eleven, I, I also like to say. Lucky number no. eleven. Nah, yeah. Lucky 11. tender eleven. Hey, uh, Mike, you love you, the number eleven. Oh, don't you? you know why I love a number eleven? Why is that? Let me tell you about a great show on okay, Netflix. Let's it's called go right Stranger Things. Stranger oh, Things uh, season two now available. Oh. You can stream all eight episodes. You could skip episode seven. Actually, there's nine episodes I think this season, but there's really eight. Just skip seven. We want to thank Netflix again for being such a great sponsor for this right. podcast. Anyway, anyway, so so what were you wandering uh, around? I was twelve. It was going. I was right. I was going back to school. So we were grade. only we were only hundred and eighty miles apart because I was in Miami. Yeah, that's about three miles if you're driving sixty miles an hour. That's true. Or three hours. Three hours. I don't know what that meant. But, well, uh, anyway, Pet Cemetery 2, August 20th, 1992. MTV is in high gear. We're talking about Prince and the New Power Generation. We're talking about black guns, or white videos been out for about a year now. Guns and Roses are still Guns thing. and Roses are a thing. Freddy's Dead did come out a year ago, and people are wearing 3D glasses to the movies. We, we, we're like, you know, we're still in the, the dawn of the grunge age. You got Pearl Jam's 10 is rocking the charts. You got... Nirvana's Nevermind everywhere. Flannel's the rage. Stone Temple Pilots is about two years away from coming out. <laughs> so, soap Dish the movie's two years old. <laughs> no. There's a cover in the video with Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Kline. <laughs> all in all, it was the perfect storm for Mary Lambert to come <laughs> to back on the scene. She said, it's my time again. give us a second installment. <laughs> yes, she directed the second one. And you know who wrote it? Not Stephen King. No. It was uh, Richard Outen. And uh, as you will learn in our uh, interview with Mary Lambert... She didn't really want to do this story. She actually had a different story in mind, and the studio wouldn't allow her to do it. So, And the people that were in on that interview gave Audible, yeah. why didn't yeah. she... Why wasn't she able to tell the story she wanted to? And hey, stick around for that interview at the very end, everybody, uh-huh. for yeah, more information. Uh-huh. And, that, and that story involved uh, a little Ellie Creed. Okay, well, there's well, the information well, you for you, so don't worry about sticking around for uh, the interview. You know, we, will, we will bleep that out with the cat screech. <laughs> no, no, we'll, no. There's more information on and, top and, of uh, that. And Ellie Creed doesn't star in this movie, but you know who does? Jeff Matthews, who is played by, <laughs> who's played by our favorite Hollywood loser. Oh, wow. Edward Furlong. We're just going to go for We're it. We're going in there. And uh, Edward Furlong was hot off the heels of T2 at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. We're only a year away from uh, Terminator 2. So it's two. like, it's kind of a really sad step down. <laughs> it is. A, it, it's, it, it's not so much of a sad step down because uh, this is a hot property. Yeah. Stephen King. Agreed. Literally oh, hot. According, from, from the beginning to the end. According to the trivia, uh, he was a huge fan of uh, Stephen King. Mr. Edward Furlong, my favorite brain scan character, uh, mm-hmm. actor. And uh, <laughs> also uh, playing I, his father, Chase Matthews, is uh, my favorite Zodiac actor, my favorite uh, Anthony nerd. Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Who favorite. has a 10-minute role in Zodiac. But, well, you know, he's also in ER. And he was also in, um, what are the movies? With oh, he was also Revenge in. Revenge of the Nerds. He's in uh, Outbreak. Is he in Outbreak? Yeah. Was he in Miami Vice? No, he wasn't in Miami Vice. He, was, he might have been a guest star or something like that. He's also in a film I like to call, because it's the name of the film, The Client. Oh. <laughs> you like The Client. I like it a lot, yeah. I we saw, need to talk to this child. Oh, my God. Who cares about The Client? Clancy Brown Clancy is also Brown. in Pet Cemetery too. Oh. And you know what his name is? He's got a, He's got a comic great name. book name. Yeah. Gus Gilbert. <laughs> Gus Grimm. Gus... 
Gilbert. So this, this is part two of Clancy Brown's um, three-step process from Shawshank to Pet Cemetery to to Carnival, wherein he plays the same character going through a progression uh, of his life. Yeah. Not true. Just what I like no. to believe. My- <laughs> I was going to say, if we're supposed to believe that his character in Carnival was the character from Pet Cemetery 2... Which that is makes, fascinating because Carnival, Carnival took place in the 20s. That makes Carnival <laughs> really interesting. Thanks for jumping into that joke, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> Stomping on that joke. Well, Stomping all over it. Well, let's, uh, you know, we've given some rundown of the cast here. And we can go, uh, you know, Jared Rushton played little uh, Clyde Parker. Now, of course, Jared Rushton was the best friend in the film Big. Yes. Oh, and actually, he's not the little one. He's actually, yeah, Jared Rushton's the jerk then. Yeah. The he's also in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He says, um, hey, I got a red hat. <laughs> That's all I remember from his character. He's like, uh, hey, your dad's a dork. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he's a jerk in that movie. Yeah. But it uh, causes a lot of uh, trouble for uh, who, who I had a crush on was, uh, I don't remember the actress's name, but I uh, remember her name in the movie, uh, Amy. And uh, I used to think she was really cute and it reminded me of my next door neighbor across the street. You mean so. auntie? Did you have a crush on the aunt? I did not have a crush on the aunt. Okay. I loved auntie, though. You know what I really did have a crush on is uh, that huge giant cookie and wanted to <laughs> jump right into it. Uh, I want to be clear. I, I thought that, Mel, I thought you were saying auntie as in A-U-N-T-I-E, like there was a character who was somebody's aunt in I the did film. think that for a second. <laughs> and then I thought like, about uh, it. Oh, yes, auntie. That's right. I I remember being I remember being so restless in that movie because it was one of the first movies I remember actually seeing in the theaters. I just remember walking up and down the aisle. I must I, I must, people must have hated me. I, I was quiet, but I just walked up and down the aisle. I needed to like get out of my chair a little bit. Why? Because you were like worried that they were, you know, gonna I was probably crushed. really concerned when they got on that B. The B was a great scene. <laughs> They got on that beat. See, I wasn't so concerned we because I was more concerned about whether or not I was going to get the cup from McDonald's that featured them on the B. But you know who was also in that movie? Matt Frewer, bringing it back to Stephen King. Oh, yeah. That's right. I love Matt Frewer. And you know what's great about uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? It is just ripe to be a horror movie. Like, if you could just make a serious version of that with, like, as a horror film. It's and called The like, Incredible Shrinking um, Man. I, I think, is that a horror I movie? Think, uh, I mean, it's like sci-fi. Yeah. It's pretty scary. But I, I, I mean, just classic. think about how terrifying that, that I, I think Stephen King hears a buzzing in his ear right now and oh. he's going to write this. He's going to do the adaptation of Honey, I the Kid. Uh, the novelization, excuse me. Well, he's uh, going to do a novelization about, of Honey, I the Kid. He talks a ton about Incredible Shrinking Man and Don's Macabre. He loves the Incredible Shrinking Man. Well, then he's, then, you know what? Then he's, he's, he's the perfect man for the job. He's like, he, can you imagine 2018? Hey, constant readers, it's been 30 years and I think it's time to revisit oh on the page. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You guys are laughing, but he loves the Incredible Shrinking Man. I'm band. saying if he if he does a novelization not, of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for the 30th anniversary, from for my old pal. Who directed that again? Joe Dante? Who directed that? Uh, I don't think it's Joe Dante. Oh, wow. Me, what if Joe Dante this. had done it, though? Um, Joe, oh, it's Joe Johnson, maybe? It might be Joe Johnson. Let me, let me look. Once again, you listen to the Pet Cemetery <laughs> Films recap while Mike Rothman looks up who directed it. It is Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson, the director of Jurassic Park 3. Should we do a rundown of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Uh, it was directed by uh, Joe Johnson, and the screenplay was Ed Naha and Tom Schulman. And it's interesting that the story was by Stuart Gordon, who is a notorious horror hound. Yeah, not- notorious. Notorious. You know, so maybe and, and, and the original the original screenplay was a little scarier. I would I would I was that so. scared of that movie when I was a kid. I was, I, it made, he it, almost made eats Mac, them. He does almost he, he does almost eat his son. The dog almost you, eats from a bowl oh of cereal Can with milk. Can you imagine like he ate his children and I then found out later? Like, and then he's like shitting his kid out. <laughs> what? No, why would you go there? Um, because that's what had happened. No, it's just terrifying uh, to think about. You should about. see uh, 
a film by another director named Joe Joe Dante in her space. Oh yeah, yeah. If everything yeah. happens, anyway. Sorry, uh, sorry I, I apologize. I, we just digressed. Before we please move tell back. me some more about Honey Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, Marcia Strassman plays uh, Rick Moranis's wife, and oh she was God. of course in Welcome Back, Cotter. And she was also in. Um, yeah, her character uh, name is Rick Moranis's wife. <laughs> well, what's her name? Well, what's his name? I don't Wayne Zelinsky. And what's oh, her yeah. name? Uh, wife well, Zelinsky. Well, <laughs> James Horner does the the score. Before we go too far down the rabbit hole, let's just uh, look at uh, Joe Dante directed Inner Space, and uh, the screenplay was by Jeffrey Bohm. Great Jeffrey and Bohm. And Chip Prother. And you know who stars in Inner Space? It was uh, Dennis Quaid, Please. Martin Short, Meg Ryan, and Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, which was an old 1950s film. Mm-hmm. And what is a TV show that was playing around the 50s and 60s at this time? Uh, a show called The Twilight Zone? But there's also another show called The Munsters. Oh, with starring Fred, Fred Gwynn, Gwynn. who's in Pet Cemetery 1989. Oh, listeners, you thought we you thought we lost control there for oh, a second, but it was incredibly we pre-planned. Didn't, we didn't lose control. All of this was premeditated. The past seven minutes was totally scripted. A little behind-the-scenes magic for you. Yeah, just That's a, true. Just a little bit of magic there. Let's go back into the history of uh, Pet Cemetery 2. So... <laughs> Uh, now, I, if you recall about 20 minutes ago when we were actually still talking about these movies, I had mentioned that uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score for Pet Cemetery was at a 48%. Anyone want to take a guess what Pet Cemetery 2 is at? 19. Uh, I'm not looking at it right now. I really am not. I think it's a 10%. Nope. 27. Oh, my God. That is close. 26. Wow. 26%. Ooh. Almost a quarter of people thought it was at the very least... Okay. Yeah. And yeah. a quarter of people in this room. <laughs> How accurate. Well. <laughs> wow, an accurate, <laughs> accurate assumption. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it was not a blockbuster like its uh, predecessor. Mm-hmm. And it was actually two minutes shorter and uh, only managed to gross $17.1 million, which honestly is a pretty good take given the quality of the film. But Adjusted for inflation, uh, for now, if I do the math... That's $170 million. No way. I'm kidding. It's not even, it's <laughs> oh my God. 28 or something like that. By the way, that's the second time in a row I fooled you on my, my, Your math. my, my false math to figure out adjusted for inflation. Hey, well, you're like, you know, Goodwill hunting over here. Well, I, like, good Justin hunting. Anyway. Good Justin hunting. So this movie this movie's a trash. $17 million? Yeah, well, you know. Or 26 million? What was it? 27 million? I already forgot. You already 26%, forgot. 26 17 million. Do you know what it's sad? I think it still made more than The Dark Tower. <laughs> wow. You know no, what? Dark Tower made over at least $60 million, and it's going to get a new uh, TV show, which you'll find out about in uh, Needful Tweets next week. It but did lay the groundwork for a lot of films being shot in Georgia. That is true. That is, that's become the hotbed for, especially for Marvel and one of my favorite TV shows, The Walking Dead, which is on AMC for those who are looking for it. Well, when you, when you drive into Georgia, there's a billboard that says Home of Pet Cemetery 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard it right. Uh, this was not shot in uh, Maine. And as I mentioned before, they had to shoot here in uh, Georgia. And why I said here, we're not in Georgia right now, but, uh, you know, we're just going to go with it. It was uh, shot in a, a town called Coweta. Coweta, Coweta County, mm. Coweta County. Ooh, scary. Now, as someone who grew up and uh, by grow up, I mean, I spent four years in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, which is the longest four years of my entire life. I had to go to Georgia to see many shows mm. and uh, it is a big state. You can do a lot of things there. Uh, you can, uh, you know, get some great food. You could visit Atlanta. You could shoot a great TV show for Netflix called Stranger Things, which is currently available on streaming on multiple platforms. You can go to the Coke Museum. You can go to, you can go see shows. Uh, Dave Matthews goes there a lot. 
That's true. <laughs> they actually do go to Georgia. I saw the band U2 there in the year 2000. That's all. I think it was 2000. Either way, you got the, the gist of these two films. We got to get a little trivia for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Even got a little inner space in there. <laughs> Finally. Finally. Now, I guess the, the only question that remains is, um, which one's better? Mike, that's a great question. And I think this would be a great point to put some music in. Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Everyone has such a Now we thought it'd be fun to have these films face off in several different categories. We, we plan for this really long and hard, a.k.a. starting this morning at around 9 a.m. <laughs> I think I sent out the first email. Yeah. <laughs> but these are fun categories. Some are deadly serious and some are fun. I think they're all pretty much just fun. So let's kick it off. What had the better tagline? Pet Cemeteries was sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery 2's is raise some hell mel. Hell mel rhymes. Mel. What do you think is better? I'm the only person that's ever noticed that my name rhymes with hell. Um, <laughs> Finally. Okay. Finally. I don't want to like put a damper on the fun, but these movies are completely different tonally, and I think the taglines reflect that. Okay, okay. yes, and yes, I think yes. That they both match the movie's tone, each of their respective movies' tone, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with two just because the first tagline is not original. Oh, so you're basing it on um, original and not original. Okay, I, can, I, I see where you're coming from with that. I, I, I appreciate that defense. I can appreciate that defense. M- Mike, hey, that rhymes with hell. <laughs> hey, do you think if ACDC played your birthday party when you were little, they would have been like, hell's mail. Or Highway to Mel. <laughs> do you guys know Highway to Mel would have been, been great? great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I was never bullied by the fact that my name rhymes with smell. Which oh, feels nice. like a lost opportunity for many bullies out there. And you know what? A million constant listeners, it's like we have a million constant <laughs> listeners, are all going to be like, oh, like, I'm going to make well, that. No. I mean, all you, it's an experience you, I missed out on. So you know All what? you bullies out there listening, we just gave you something really good. So if you know any Mel's out there, Smell Gibson. Just take it to Smell Gibson. <laughs> well, fortunately, growing up with the last He's name. He's like crying at home. No, fortunately, like, growing up with the last name Gerberman, I did get made fun of it all. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> Mike, what do you think? Better tagline. I'm going to go with uh, Sometimes Dead is Better only because I always hear Fred Gwynn saying it. Yes. Although yes. I do love the race in hell because the, you know, the font and the red and the fiery red kind of matches the poster really well. It does. You know? if, if, if I'm looking at these posters and I don't know anything about these movies, mm-hmm. I would say Race in Hell is actually better mm. because the poster for that movie is Pretty iconic. I think it's Edward Furlong and his friend, like right behind him. And he's got the shovel. You think? Wait. You the, think it's going to be more? Uh, you think the Pet Cemetery Two poster is iconic? Yeah. Um, that so, you, you're sticking with it now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Here we go. So, but 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 it says raise some hell. Mm-hmm. And as you know, when you bury something in the Pet Cemetery, that when it comes back, it doesn't come back quite the same way. And that uh, I think it's a little bit more indicative than you know. Like sometimes that is better. Like if you don't know the book and you don't know anything about that story, that I don't think that tagline's very scary or creepy yeah. or anything. Like yeah, that. I mean it doesn't. I, mean, I guess it doesn't set the tone for the movie in, yeah. in, in the same way that raise raise some hell does. It does. I still think that the sometimes dead is better one is is better. 
How about that? Oh, it looks like we have a split here. I, I think it's because it's just such a weird phrase, you know? Sometimes dead is better. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. Raise some hell. I know what I'm getting with this movie. Yeah. You're going to get some hell. I'm going to get some hell. And it's going to get raised, yeah. by the way. I agree. I think that there is something curious about that line. Yeah. Uh, but I also agree with uh, Mac that there, if you don't know the context, it's a little confusing. It's just straight out the book. It is straight out the book. Like I just feel like I don't want to give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah, they did just copy and paste it. A little copy pasta. Well, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but all the materials from the book, too. You know, <laughs> they what do you do? They, they do say, don't they say, um, let's raise some hell in Pit Cemetery, too? <laughs> oh, God. I bet you Gus says that, actually. We should yeah. look it up. Actually, when, he's, when he's got the motorcycle reverend, like, let's raise some hell. It's well, kind was, of like, well, it's a... actually kind of like in Last Jedi how BB-8 says, uh, I've got a bad feeling about this. It's actually Zowie that says, let's oh. raise some hell. <laughs> there was an alternate tagline that you sort of found oh, that yes. was uh, oh, yeah. back by popular demand, which I also think is really funny and I think and that's cute. a good one. And, and it was because the first one was a hit. Okay. So they're talking yeah, about the movie and also, and also the people who the are people. buried. We, I'm, really, I'm really shocked in 1992 that Raise Some Hell was used instead. <laughs> I'm not shocked at all. I, I, that makes total sense for 1992. So are I mean, we going to do a tally at the end of this and see which one wins? Or are we going to do it by category? Um, let's do a tally at the very end. So for tagline, is that a split decision then? It's a split decision, split. but this is how we're going to do this. You know, you, Mike's you, vote is worth four. You take <laughs> – what, what, uh, how do you make a carn? Uh, and the, on the Micmac burial ground. You gotta, you gotta pile some rocks up. Let's do a little rock, paper, scissors here. Now, I, for our team, because uh-huh. we're, we're on, uh, we're team, we're, we're team pet one. Yep. What? I vote you. For this to, category. For this, this category. category. I vote for you to do the rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Okay. You have to, you have to decide who wants to do the rock, paper, scissors on your, for your, for your team. Why are we doing I, Either Mac or Mel, who's going to be doing the, the rock, paper, scissors. But then scissors it just here. makes it a completely arbitrary contest. Oh, but this is the only way we can, you know, we can do this here. Because uh, there's an arbitrary split. podcast out there. We're, we're, we're split. You're, you're so. saying just for this category? Yes. Well, yes. yes. well you're saying as okay. a tiebreaker. Yes. 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 Not yes. every time. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> That's what I thought we were going for. Just as a tiebreaker. Just as a tiebreaker. Yeah. We'll do rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yes. All right, ready? All right, here we go. exciting for everybody out there. Who can all see it. All right, they're going. Right. And rock, rock, paper, paper scissors, scissors, shoot. shoot. Right. Justin oh, wow. went for the scissors, <laughs> and Mel went for paper. Well, see, and both could be used in uh, in hurting someone. Uh, paper, as we know, could you could wrap someone in paper and drown them, and as, then as scissors. Well. You yeah, could, our good friend died yes. that way. <laughs> <laughs> the water would eat through the paper immediately. Good call. But the winner, on the, the paper. winner is pet one. Uh, let's go to the next. Category. The next category is near and dear to my heart because it's the next one on the list here. And it's it's the best lead starring two-time nominee Lewis Creed, who is played by Dale Midkiff, and the character of Jeff Matthews, played by Edward Furlong. Mel, who is the best lead? Who's the better lead? Categories. I mean, are we talking about performance? Are we talking about the character? I think performance. I think all all around. Oh, the whole all encompassing. Yeah, all yeah. encompassing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Dale Midkiff's performance middling to me. Okay, he's Ooh. he's pretty to look at. I'll give him that. He's very pretty to look at. Um, I am more intrigued by Edward Furlong's character ah. story wise. I feel like they're really even for me. Mm. Um. Can you I'm rock, gonna... paper, scissors, shoot yourself? <laughs> Here, do you right? <laughs> I'm, oh, I feel like I got to give it to Dale because of the down on the knees. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal. That's the Oscar clip right there. Mm-hmm. 
Also, in memoriam in, in 30 years. That'll be the clip of the show for Dylan <laughs> but, I, but, oh but I do think it's interesting. God. I said 30 years. That's fine. He'll be 90 years old by then. Anyway, Just sorry. ignoring what Justin said. I do think it's interesting <laughs> that uh, they flip it so that the main character is a child mm-hmm. in the second one. I just think that's an interesting direction to go. And like because the first one is all about taking care of the family as the mm-hmm. patriarch, and the second one is more about a son's love for his mother. Both are about the dissolution of a family, but I thought that was a smart direction, which is another reason why they're kind of like on par for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I got to give the edge to uh, <laughs> probably the edge for this, but I, I think Dale <laughs> takes this all the way because there's just so much more emotional trauma for yeah. this role. I mean, granted, you know, you have Edward Furlong's character. Uh, he does watch his mother get electrocuted. Watches his mother <laughs> get electrocuted <laughs> in a scene that would absolutely not be uh, reminiscent of uh, New Nightmare. Oh, New Nightmare but, uh, would not be reminiscent of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I, I mean, at the same time, like you know, you have the it's just a, it's just they're two different films. First off, you know, one is pretty much like a horror drama for the most part, and then I would say. Rock and roll horror. Mel, you, you would kind of referred to Pet Cemetery too, like it looks similar to like how Evil Dead Two is with yeah, Evil it's Dead very 1. Evil Dead versus Evil Dead Two. Yeah, and which is cool. Which there's two different type of movies, but I just think in terms of like what the the severity of the performance, like Dale McKiff has to like work with so much drama there, and there's just so much stuff that he has to go through. Where I don't really ever get the feeling that Edward Furlong's character. Um, which is Jeff, right? Um, sure is. Yeah, Jeff Matthews. How could you forget Jeff Matthews? I don't feel Jeff Matthews uh, goes too much. Yeah. And in, in fact, like, I don't feel there are any consequences for Jeff Matthews when, you know, he buries his mother and all this other stuff. So, yeah, yeah I have to agree with you. I, I think Dale wins out. Um, and I don't really love, I don't love his performance in the movie, but there's a few scenes and, and including the end where I think he totally sells it. Um, with the Jeff Matthews character, I agree with you. There, he does not really go. He gets bullied at school a lot, and yes, he lost his mother, but nothing else really happens to him so much so that I would believe that that he becomes kind of like the like like literally like in in the suit at the end when he's just yeah. like totally dour and he's kind of just like joined the evil. That's and, uh... and I just don't buy it as much as I'd buy the journey of, of Dale's character. Well, that's my argument is that, you know, <laughs> he's, character. he's a teenage kid. He's going through things. la di da we all go through things. Oh my God, you but guys then, are both like, he hasn't been through a lot. A, he watches his mother die. B, yeah, I know. He goes but, to a new town well, where the housekeeper he's tries seemingly to fine. But here's, here's C, the he's point. he's getting bullied all the time. He's seemingly fine throughout the movie, though. He's, 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 like, he's bummed out. But then by the end, he's kind of this grinning, malevolent, like, ooh, I'm wearing my suit and mommy's home. You know, that type <laughs> of thing. It's like, and you know, it's just like, and all of a sudden he snaps back. And he's like, oh, we're fine. We're going to move again. Well, like, because, I, I don't buy that you come back from that either. Well, because all of a sudden, like, because Lewis doesn't come back. That's the thing I like about Lewis as a tragic character was, you know, my boy Jeff Matthews gets redeemed in like seven minutes. Well, they get to drive out of the town like they're, yeah, you know, they win. That's also kind of boring. Ben and Mark. But I um, and by Ben and Mark, I mean, Salem's lot, mm. Ben and Mark. Yeah. My um, <laughs> my problem with uh, also with the characters at the end of part two is that it seems that everyone just kind of walks into the final act of Beetlejuice uh, in, in like in the attic. Like the, the entire attic sequence is just yeah. It felt like the entire it's loony. movie. Yeah, well, the entire loony. movie is loony. But and I, I, also, he's a kid. Like they bounce back from things easier, and the fact that he <sighs> is so willy nilly about it also speaks to him as being a teenager. 
uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to talk about that movie so much on serious terms like that, though. I don't think that. I think yeah. that does it a yeah. disservice. Well, I agree. I, I, I just, I'll just say the most, the, only, the more engaging performance I felt was was Dale Midkiff as Lewis, as opposed to Edward Furlong's. Sure. I'll say dead behind he the eyes. He honestly doesn't talk a lot. No. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a very strange Cause, cause role. It really is on Midkiff's shoulders the entire it is. time. It mm-hmm. Is. Mm-hmm. Other than, you know, obviously you get Fred Gwynn who kind of kills it. But for the most part, yeah, it, the, all the drama, the tension, the suspense, it's all really yeah. much on, you know, mostly on his shoulders. But with, with Edward Furlong, kind of just shrugs it off because he's a generation Xer. Yeah. So. Well, he's kind of cool. He's probably, yeah. he probably writes skateboards around oh, yeah. Ludlow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of our, our good friend, oh, by the way, Pet Cemetery One. Won this category. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to Best Dad. Now, uh, this is going to be between, once again, Lewis Creed and, great name, by the way, Chase Matthews, <laughs> played by the once in future Mark Green from ER, Anthony Edwards. Mel, <laughs> kick it off. Best Dad in terms of quality dad? <laughs> like a yeah. Good, like a good, good, like dad, a good, good dad. Good father? Good father. Uh, oof. Um, I'm going to have to go with Lewis. <laughs> Whoa. What? what? I thought we were finally going to agree. Go ahead. Explain, explain, explain. Well, I mean, just in terms of like caliber of, of dad, I, I feel like Chase kind of just forgets about his son and can't see that he's clearly fucked up the entire time um, and doesn't make enough of an effort to like have them both recover on, on equal communicative terms after the death of his mother. Uh, whereas everything Lewis does is for his family, even though. He does some pretty weird stuff. Yeah, I gotta. I, I agree in the sense that, like, Chase is nowhere. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards and Edward Furlong, like, maybe hung out for an hour on the set. <laughs> They're like never together. I well, feel like he cares more about his veterinary in a van business. Yeah, which you is got, you gotta make money. But, but <laughs> to Chase's no credit. He does try to figure out what the hell is going on. He does. Yes. You know, he's the only one that like sees the dead animals and he's like, all right, I, what, what the hell is going on? Doc or the other person that he goes to that has all the heads yeah. around the yeah. office that laughs at him for some reason. He, uh, you know, he's trying to get down to the nitty gritty. And I, I got to I got to get the edge to, to Chase here because as I recall, I don't I don't think Chase ever, you know, buried all his family members up uh up on the Micmac yeah. program. So leading to the yeah, death. Because he didn't love them enough. <laughs> well, that's that's the argument I want to make in a second. That's a so, good argument, though. Matt, yeah. Mac. This is so tough because I, I originally was like, absolutely not not Lewis. I mean, he he you know, he can't even save his own son. Uh but <laughs> Oh wow, well, that's a real me. <laughs> like that loser couldn't save prevent his son from yeah, dying. However, <laughs> I will say that um I, I it's tough because I, I think that Dale's heart's in the right place the whole time dale <laughs> dale i think that very, i think lewis's heart is in the right place and i think that and, 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 I, and he does i think as a father he loves his family probably more than chase does because clearly i mean he didn't love his wife i mean they really got a divorce and everything right well that could be more complicated than that people get divorced all the time well it, it, we're saying he's best dad so in terms of a father figure probably not great because he said he's got a terrible relationship with his son yeah, he's so yeah. detached Okay, let me go ahead and defend but does he, but Chase, and I'll, I'll, I'll even leave my big bullet at the very end here. <laughs> Chase has a teenage son who's going to be moody no matter what. I know his he, they moved to this new town and everything else. That's fine. Watch uh, his mom die on a movie Watch his mom die. Let's but I think, I think that <laughs> once set, you is- see a dog come back from the dead and, you know, doesn't make any sense, that is going to automatically be my new focus point. Mm-hmm. Is How the hell is this dog who by all accounts should be dead walking around because most of the time in this film is when we spend time with him if he's not having sex with a wolf human 
<laughs> it's it's him investigating this but, matter at hand. And so my issue my issue with Lewis is he it's like it's a smothering love almost. He loves too much mm-hmm. and it gets his best friend killed and it gets his wife killed in the process. And so therefore, I got to go with Chase Matthews. I'm going with Chase also. Uh-oh, Mel. Wow, this we got to so split. Weird. We got to split. We got to do the rock, paper, scissors rock, again. Rock, paper, scissors right, again. Well, you guys go. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Here, I'll, I'll do the play-by-play. So, Mike and Mac, face off. All right. Here we go. All right. Rock, paper, scissors. Ooh. Ooh. We have got a winner. Wait, hold on. Mac and I have won for the movie that we're not supporting. <laughs> <laughs> we well, got a win like- for Pet Cemetery 1. Lewis Creed wins by rock. By rock. Yeah. Well, yeah. By rock. By, by rock. How about that? Interesting. Mac rock. Yeah. Okay. Just buried me in a carn. Well, there's no transition for this one. Best antagonist, Gage Creed, played by the little cute Miko Hughes, versus Gus Gilbert, played by the big cute Clancy Brown. <laughs> the big Mel, cute. I know you've been dying to talk more about our boy Clancy Brown, so you kick it off. Who's the better antagonist? Hi. Mel here. Love Clancy. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that in the book pet cemetery mm-hmm. gage is an incredibly terrifying antagonist when he is possessed by the force from the burial ground i think i'm going to definitely go with clancy though i think that um the the artistic decisions that make gage so creepy are wonderful and i don't want to downplay them mm. um but in terms of just like length of time that they are present as the antagonist clancy definitely gets more yeah um true i think that he plots he schemes more he starts amassing an undead army if you want to talk in terms of sheer strategy he's a better antagonist and i just think he's super creepy i love his his foreboding like really his face is so like lumpy but in the best ways and like the scene where he's eating his rabbits and just just being gross i mean i don't want to touch on the the rape scene which (laughs) doesn't need to exist in that film but yeah um he's definitely evil at that point (laughs) there's no question at that point and when he is threatening to kill the bully with the uh, tire from the motorcycle, yeah. uh, I, I just think in terms of presence in the film, I just I'm just a Clancy fangirl. I, I'm really biased here, you guys. Hey, that's okay. We're you know <laughs> what you have more it, it history all... with Pet One than I do. Exactly. You know, exactly. I read the book before I saw the film. I'm going with Clancy also, though. Wow. I, I oh think, my god. Oh, I, I, Molly. I, I, as a kid. I remember catching Pet Cemetery 2 randomly on like AMC, not AMC because it wasn't even around at that time, but maybe it was like USA Network or something. But I remember that whole potato truck sequence, seeing it from, because it's a very long sequence. You see the whole chase scene with like the it's dog, very long. you know, with, it's uh, very long. with, with was it Zowie? Zoe? Zoe? Zowie. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Zowie. With Zowie, like, and then it goes into, you know, Clancy starts, you know, running after him and every, or Gus. And there's just something so unnerving, the fact that like, this corpse can actually drive the car, you know, and kind of function as a human being mm-hmm. in ways. And, you know, knowing the first one, you know, all the, all the mechanics of the first one, especially after when you remember like the Timmy Baderman and all this other stuff. But there is just something like really creepy about this awful stepfather coming back as a zombie that kind of still has like human features, but is even more monsterific. Mm-hmm. And he's just unstoppable. And just how unforgiving that sequence is, is so creepy. Despite the fact that Jesus and the Mary Jane is playing in the background. But <laughs> no shots against the band. No, no shots against the band. It's just the a placement. odd choice. You could actually have no music there and it would be really visceral and, and awful. But not only do they crash in a car, but then all the potatoes crash over him. And then he just like turns around and leaves. And he is just a very haunting presence. 
And he's uh, gross as hell. And he's like very he's got gross. that neck wound that's constantly yeah. looking. Oh, also during the dinner sequence, yeah. aren't they eating mashed potatoes yep. too? Yeah. How ironic is that? And then oh. the potatoes killed him in the end. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Deep thoughts for <laughs> Deep Thoughts by Jack Andy. Uh Richard Alton, the writer of the film. Mm. Mac. I'm a big Clancy head. Uh, I love Clancy Brown. I, I think that he is actually, it's funny, as, as we're talking about this, he is like one of the most fleshed out villains. And, and if you think about like, he He's also goes, losing flesh. He even goes, I know, he even goes as far <laughs> as an undead person brought back. He is so in love with Chase's wife that he goes and ba- digs her up and buries her in the pet cemetery to bring her back for him, for himself. I mean, it just happens to be Edward Furlong's mother and all that stuff, but he's the one that goes and does all that stuff. And we haven't seen someone. And then he also brings back, he also buries the, the bully, too. Yeah. So I it's think like, it's more it, it's of very, a mind fuck and let's raise the dead as opposed yeah. to like true love, though. Well, I, I, I think, think he's absolutely in love with her. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just saying it's I like we get a lot of we get we get a lot of uh, a lot from that character than we do anyone that's brought back from uh, in, in Pet One. Uh, they're not brought, they're not around for long enough to to really do anything, well, do any real damage. Uh, well, I mean, in terms of like being a really awful person. Well, it's weird that he doesn't start killing people <laughs> immediately, right? Yeah. It's not like Gage, where it's yeah. just like murderous rage from the get go. Yeah. yeah, he he like lives and almost revels in. Being this zombified, disgusting, manipulative force. Yeah, it's okay. kind of just hanging I, out. I will say I have to go with Gage yeah, because he's not in a lot, but he bats a thousand. Mm-hmm. Every scene he's in means something. Whereas, and I will not say that Clancy Brown is the, the problem I've got with Pet Cemetery 2. Not at all. If anything, he's one of the lone highlights for me. But he's given a lot to do. And some of the things he has to do, he has to do doesn't, uh, doesn't translate tonally. Mm. I think the tone is really off on the movie. It tries to be like this really wacky movie at times, but then it gets really strangely serious. And then the soundtrack screws things up. I'm going on another tangent about Pet Cemetery too, but it's it's the um, I'll, I'll just name check the up. It's the it's the Dion Waiters Heat Check Award. <laughs> it's it's from the Bill Simmons podcast where you you talk about characters not in a lot of it, but makes he goes out there and makes yeah. it count. Yeah, and that's what and and, and to be a little kid. And to pull it off, and the way that they're able to shoot around it too, everything from the moment yeah. he's wearing the hat, from the moment he emerges from the bed and, and, and attacks, from the moment he he dies, it's all so memorable to me. And so I gotta give it to a two year old, <laughs> Miko Hughes. I gotta give him. I, I gotta give it to. Him. I actually go back. I'm I'm going with Gage. Whoa! Oh. Did I just wow? Well, wait a oh, minute. No. Wait, 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 wait. But before we get before we get into the uh, rock paper scissors, <laughs> the rematch. I think that um, it, what I find really interesting is that don't you think that if you're an awful person in life, that when you're buried, maybe you would come back as a good person? Ooh, like that's like that's something they haven't done. And and so when he comes back and he's just still a bad person, it was kind of like oh, did you know? Did we really need to kill him and bring him back? It's just to, you know. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, Mel, Ray? Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. We're doing a rock, paper, scissors again. <laughs> For the definitive answer definitive. as to who is the better antagonist. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, I'm not ready. And they're going. They're going. They're going. Shoot. Boom. Ooh. Yeah, repeat. Mel went with the paper. My strategy and... was to uh, repeat the Sorry, but um, the scissors. what can I say? It's clear. The gods have it. The rocks and the scissors reign. I'm, I'm curious to hear what parts of Pet 2 you think are 
taking themselves too seriously because I felt like zero percent of that movie takes itself seriously. Everything with the, the rape mother. sequence. Uh... Oh yeah, that shouldn't be in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Surprise category. Yeah, that was one. Oh god. Best mom. Oh. Now, oh. Yeah. We got Denise Crosby yeah. as Rachel Creed, mm. and we got Darlene Flugel as Renee Hollow slash Matthews. Renee Matthews. Mel, go. What do you think? It's going to be Rachel. She's not uh, bringing her teenage son onto a dangerous film set where yeah. she then dies in front of him. Um, but instead, the mother who wants to protect her family from gross visions of death that she had to go through when she shouldn't have. And uh, just an amazing performance. I think probably the best performance, in my opinion, of that entire film mm-hmm. comes from her. So uh, no contest for me there. I mean, we only get to see the mom and pet too as as whimsical weirdly seductive ghost so true true True. mike for me it's a i'm a huge fan of uh you know denise crosby's character in deep impact uh, where she portrayed vicky hotchner uh so uh for me it's uh, i'm a little biased but uh i gotta go with uh denise crosby on this one uh more screen time and uh, more impactful of a role that uh entire monologue that she delivers about zelda is one of the, the uh, MVP moments of the film. I, I just think I could not actually, um, all her, the dialogue in the book, I kept hearing Denise Crosby mm-hmm. the entire time. So, uh, love you, Crosby. <laughs> love Mac. her look, too. It's a great look. Yeah. Uh, great look. Her hair. Timeless. timeless. Gotta go with Crosby. Like, I, I agree. I, and I think, again, I didn't, I didn't love Dale Metcalf's... <clears throat> I didn't love Dale's performance in Pet One, and next to her, it just pales in comparison. I thought she did a really, really fantastic job. Yeah, the mom Pet Two, she's just not around enough. No. Um, so it's it's all the reasons I didn't like Gage as the antagonist is like, <laughs> I, he's just there's a, she's just barely in it, and then when she is, it's not really it, it's such a uh, an over the top performance because she's already you know dead and come back. So I, I don't know, I just didn't like her. I'm a big Deep Impact fan, um, as you all know. Yeah. I, I, I will shoot that over Armageddon. It's Denise Crosby. Yeah. I, I have no joke. It's There's just it's the better character. Like yeah. you said, Mike, you, you, the, the Zelda monologue in the movie mm-hmm, is great. Mm-hmm. Mel, when you were saying how she just wants to protect her children from the, the rough childhood that she had. no matter, and, 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 it's, and it's tough for her, so it makes her a compelling character as well. So, hey, no rock, paper, scissors necessary. I think we're all going to go with uh, Denise Crosby here. So Awesome. There we go. All right. Where does that take us next? Mel, you've had to deal with these a lot <laughs> because of your career. Yeah. Um, we're going to do best dead animal. <laughs> and um, we're going to kick it off. It's Church versus Zowie. Mel. I have to go with Church. Yes. Because my personal feeling is that cats are always creepier than dogs. And I liked how... Well, I actually suppose in the movie, the first movie, when Spot comes back, he does act pretty aggressive towards mm-hmm. Judd's mother. And But part of the book I liked was that dogs don't actually come back aggressive. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of dumb and weird. And we have this whole conversation in our Pet Cemetery book episode about animals and how the burial ground force inhabits them and what it means for the animal instinct or personality. And I, I like that stance better. So uh, Church from the Book wins for me, <laughs> which is not an option. But uh, no, I think the cat's creepier. I think the stuff they do with the uh, 
tapping them, loosen them in the eyes um, mm. so that they shine really in that unearthly way is, is great. I think cats are harder to work with, so they also win from a labor perspective on the movie. Um, yeah. Watching the documentary today, they brought nine cats in and have them. Oh, nine. One for each uh, one. to do things. Wow. Um, I just think cats are creepier. Yeah, I got to go with that too. Because, mm. I mean, honestly... The problem with the the Zowie dog is that the name the the name's weird, but then also <laughs> it looks like a puppet when it's running up the stairs. It just doesn't. It, I mean, the 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 creature never ending story looks more realistic, and you know you got those red beaming eyes that are kind of wait, wait, ridiculous wait, wait. too. Wait, wait, hold on. We talking about the, you think Gamork, the giant wolf thing, yeah. is more realistic looking than Zowie? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so at all. All right, you heard it here first. So I got to go to church. I think that you know just for that garage scene alone when church first reappears mm. worth the whole movie for me uh, it's a very creepy scene love the the way it's shot uh, the eyes when it gets that kind of glittery eyes in there just awesome seems like the eyes have it so far yeah mac i think yeah i'm gonna go with church for sure i mean dogs i feel like are, are kind of they're they're they can easily be seen as like vicious animals and you know that like just you know rabid dogs like cooge mm-hmm. and like i think that Having this this dead this this undead cat roaming around like, with these two children, like you know the the kids in Pet Two are are they're older you know like I, I don't know I just did, it didn't seem as threatening as having this cat around. I just don't like cats. Well, it's weird because it it sort of becomes <laughs> really like a, like a werewolf movie, mm-hmm. like just the sheer violence yeah. threatened by the dog is yeah. what's scary, oh. whereas it's the eeriness and unworldly unearthliness of the cat that's yeah because church becomes a reminder all right mac what are you saying? yeah no I, but but you're like you said with the werewolf movie because of all the the dreams where he keeps dreaming that we'll the woman's we'll head becomes the the, the wolf oh uh, we'll get there <laughs> ridiculous um zowie wow whoa for the movie wow i can't believe i love it. dogs so i could that's it's a, maybe it's an emotional thing so i i feel a real connection to what what would i do if i feel like scout had died violently for instance our dog don't, mac i'm using mac i'm using our dog against don't us, mac. say that and that kind of leads into the whole you know how could lewis bring his child back like would i feel like i could ha- i'd have to bring my dog back and and the dog acts you know like everything else okay at first and then obviously as we know things turn to shit now what, like you said mel though church from the book is easily the best of of everything, okay, of all the pets, of all the pet media out there, including your audiobooks. And, um, but in the movie, you know, he comes back, Church comes back in the, in the garage scene and he's kind of around, but there's not as much of a presence as Zowie has. Now, you could use the argument against me that, you know, when Church is around, bad in a thousand, everything is memorable. Mm, but for me, yeah. I got Zowie. I got Zowie. Um, how about that hot take for Pet Cemetery 2 tonight? That's a pretty That's hot why, take. That might be my lone Pet Cemetery 2. Well, you're now going to be known yeah, as but, uh, Justin oh. Zowie Gerber. So you really think That's that a great nickname, though. Knowing what that. you know now, you would still bring your dog back after doing this podcast. I think once I've let it in, much like Pet Cemetery the book, once I let the Wendigo spirit in, you know, it's all bets are off. Oh my God, uh, You've been warned, Dad. Keep, keep yeah, Scout keep away. Scout well away us. from Justin. Thank God she's not in the state. Lewis, well, Ger- Lewis Gerber over here. We approached these composers earlier. We didn't talk about Mark Governor, but but we're about to. We're going to talk about best score. Pet Cemetery's uh, composer was Elliot Goldenthal, and just one of the all-time greats, Mark Governor, <laughs> who did the score for <laughs> Pet Cemetery Two. 
Mel, Defend Pet Cemetery 2. Well, all I remember <laughs> that wasn't like soundtrack songs was like acoustic guitar. <laughs> like, oh no, that was a, that was that was uh, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> that wasn't my yeah. Oh, I honestly don't remember. It could have been Guns N' Roses. Pet Cemetery 2. I mean, I I'm not someone who, um, unlike you guys, I'm I'm not super hearkening to the music every time I go see a movie. I just kind of like what, let the whole thing wash over me. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I did listen to Elliot Goldenthal talk about the score today on the documentary, and he talked about incorporating like the children chanting and also taking a lot of inspiration from Psycho. I mean, it's creepy. To me, it feels a little old hat. I feel like I should bow out of this one. I honestly don't even remember the score from Pet Sematary. Abstaining. Cemetery, so, yeah. so there would be a definitive winner probably, one way or the other. True. We know Ty. Look, Mark Governor is a classic, classic composer. It's like, mean, it goes Bernard Herrmann, Bernard Hans Herman. Zimmer, Mark Governor. I mean, he's he's responsible for Johann Sebastian Bach. He's responsible for scoring Hollywood Boulevard two. Oh God, really? Beach balls. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you the documentary, uh, the 1986 documentary Hollywood Ghost Stories. Uh, he did uh, Till the End of the Night. He did Uncle Sam, and he also did James Dean a portrait. And uh, um, you're burying the lead. <laughs> oh, he yeah. did the score. To Rock and Roll High School Forever, starring Corey Feldman. Oh. Which wrote, is one of the great bad movie soundtracks of all time. It says here he, he was the writer for Love at the Laundromat, and, and he was a performer. He's also in the film, apparently. Uh, he also did, uh, he, well... Uh, Long story short, Rock and Roll High School Forever is one of the great bad movies out there. And I think he followed up Pet Cemetery 2 with this film, which is even funnier. So, Mike, you saying Elliot Goldenthal? Oh, Elliot Goldenthal is just, we don't even need to go into all his work. Should we, though? <laughs> no, God. What's your vote? What do you think, Mike? Goldenthal. Are you okay, yeah, me? Yeah, Give yeah, me a yeah, break. Mac. Yeah, yeah Goldenthal. I mean, the, the Pet pet 2, uh, the Pet 2 Cemetery. No, the Pet 2 soundtrack is just abysmal. Yeah. Two that Pet song, 2 Cemetery. Oh, and he also wrote that song, Love Never Dies, that they play that the lyrics all of a sudden cut in oh, during God. the movie. Oh, man. It's a rough one. It's, it's like a Goldenthal. rough one. I think I do. Actually, I do really like the, the piano medley that, that uh, recurs throughout the original Pet Cemetery. Yeah. And I'm all out. There's a lot of. Rock and roll guitar also played for incidental music in Pet Cemetery 2 that it's just, just time stamps the hell out of that yeah. movie. Raise some hell, uh, raise another soundtrack, that's what I say. Oh, so we, good one. Pet Cemetery, thank you very much. I was working on it all day. All right. Pet Cemetery 1 wins this one. Are we talking score or are we talking soundtrack or are they the same thing? Uh, I, was, I was going score. Okay. I was going score. score. Guitar music is in literal incidental guitar music, not songs. Mm-hmm. Um, next category, best script, Stephen King. Versus another, when you think about like Robert Town, and then you think of Richard Outen, 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 Richard Outen. Let's see. Um, well, anyway, Richard Outen. He did Pet Two. Mel, better screenplay. I mean, I honestly think that Pet Cemetery One, when it succeeds, succeeds despite its screenplay oh. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so close to the book that it's very hard to judge on its own merit for me uh and i think my complaint about stephen king movies that are adapted so faithfully is always that i wish the movie took it more time and dwelled on elements that were successful for me in the book in this case it would have been more time with judd crandall actually getting to see their relationship between him and lewis develop and make him seem less like a 
creepy old man, my unpopular opinion about Fred Gwynn in that movie. Um, love Fred Gwynn as a person and a human. I just don't, I just don't get the warmth that I want from Judd from him. And uh, God, I feel like I should abstain again because I can't say that the script for Red Cemetery <laughs> 2 is like better. This than is Red a landslide. I mean, you're talking about an original story. The, the reason why this franchise even exists is because it's based on the book that was, you know, written by Stephen King, a script that was adapted from that book, also by written Steve, by yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. I mean, it's a landslide. I mean, there's no, there's no even reason to, to yeah. debate. My argument, even outside of all that context, which even though that context needs to be in there because that's the argument, uh, is that the the second movie doesn't even really have a story per se. It's just, you oh know, God, yes a does. kid comes into town with his dad and and then, you know. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Well, my argument would be, I'll just jump right to me, but I will get to you before I forget. Um, <laughs> the bully sucks in Pet Cemetery 2. Yes. Jeff's friend sucks. Oh, God. Hey. The creepy guy that, that Dr. Mark Green goes to visit sucks. Every new character sucks, except for Gus. Gus is <laughs> Honestly, except for Gus. Yeah. And, of course, my favorite animal of them all. Zowie. Zowie. There's, that's my argument for Wowie Stephen Zowie. King. Because Stephen King's characters, the creeds, the Crandall, I, 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 it's got to be Pet Cemetery, Mac. Um, I just want to take us back to like the, 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 the pitch room where they're, they're trying to come up with who's going to, all right, you know, we can't get King to write to, who do we get? <laughs> Let's get the guy that wrote Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. Yeah. <laughs> that's a scary animated film. To do Pet 2. He did go on to write one episode of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., so oh, I'll give you okay, credit for that. Yeah. But, uh, no, it, it, yeah, it's a landslide Wait, for me. Wait, did you say I think The that... Adventures of Briscoe County Jr.? Yeah, with Bruce mm-hmm. Campbell. Well, Bruce you know Campbell. one of the executive producers of that show was? Who? Jeffrey Boehm, who also wrote Inner Space. Oh. <laughs> Fun fact also about Bruce Campbell, original choice for... Louis Creed. Louis Creed, yeah. Back in the Romero days. That's mm-hmm. right. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Uh, yeah, so ultimately I'm going to have to go with... Um, Richard Allen. Uh, ha- <laughs> Richard Allen. I King have to put in, put in my, like, you know, bid here that I do, I do think that movie is, like, a fun fever dream of a film. And I do think it has a story. And I do think it is trying to expound upon this universe. Well, my argument is I think it's trying to be, like, darkly humorous and darkly funny. Mm-hmm. But I think, it, I think it fails, though, at trying to be funny. Like, I don't think it achieves the humor. I don't think it's funny. I Go guess I guess what I was expecting. I think Evil Dead Two. You guys is funny. all told me to that I was going to hate it, right? Like you were like, "Ugh, it's like nothing compared to the original." And I was like, really yeah, prepared to not to, have a good time, and I fair. had a great time. And to be fair, I've definitely been on the other side, yeah, because I have, I have twenty six years of not liking this movie, so there's a bunch of that going hey, on. Uh, you know, I had a, I had a great time watching two this time around, but it, it's more because now it's like one of those horror movies, like you just watch with your friends and kind of have a good time with. You don't. I'm not watching thought, it for for genuine scares or no, but I thought like it that. made some truly audacious decisions that took me completely by surprise in a in a way that I was like, "This is insane!" And yeah, I oh, it's liked crazy. It. But for me, you know, it's it's the it's the the DKW DKG King wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, what does that mean, Mac? DKW. It's the uh, Daddy King wants, Daddy King gets. That's right. <laughs> What? It's math. It's, it's just math. SSDD, you know. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So All right, let's, clearly King wins. King wins. What if, what if we just had like a great yeah. case? We all just said, you know, no matter what, it's Richard Allen. It's Richard Allen. Best use of gore. This could be interesting. Best use of gore. Pet Cemetery or Pet Cemetery 2, Mel. 
Pet Cemetery One for sure. Okay. I was I kept waiting for the end of Pet Cemetery Two to pull a Pet Cemetery One and kind of strip away the beautiful facade of uh, Edward Furlong's mom and give us the decayed version that I was craving. I think Judd's demise, Rachel's eventual visage, mm. take the cake. Mike. Yeah, I mean, look at Pascal. Boom. Right oh, yeah, he's so good. Look at that head wound. Ah, yeah. Get and, him out of here. hilarious, too, to boot. He's, he's <laughs> hilarious. I, you know, I got to say, that, that film is so dark mm-hmm. that he just kind of cuts in there with some humor, and I need it. I need, I need, I need some levity. I remember watching The Exorcist, and um, Burke's nephew kept showing up during the climax of that film, and I was like, hey, what's going on up there? It's, it's leaking pea soup. <laughs> Thank God we had that character in there. Of course, as you all know, there is no character in Exorcist yeah. because it's a horror <laughs> movie joking. and it needs to maintain the horror. But the I don't need Pascal making jokes in the goddamn there's truck. There's camp, camp in that movie anyway. But yes, yeah. but we are we are racing towards the end. We got a dead kid back. He's chasing Fred Gwynn around, Herman Munster around, and now we got Pascal saying, hey, let's get the next uh, uh, rental car out of town. It should be huh? noted, it should be noted oh, that, that Justin's doing... I'm doing bits, actually, over here. I'm doing man <laughs> He's, he's, I'm crossing he's my eyes. Just crossed your eyes to do that line. <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, the, the, the my gore, best score. The, the gore in this film, in the first one, is spectacular. Just mm. even just for how they do Judd's death with the Achilles tendon and with uh, the way he gets his like the, the, the his naga, lips eaten. His lips eaten. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Or his lips slashed, and then oh, it's just it's gross. It's gross. Agreed. So. And not to mention Zelda. Oh, I'm. Whoa. You got to go with that one. I don't even remember anything gory in the second one, other than like the what? motorcycle thing. But yeah. you don't even really see anything. Well, well, Clancy I mean, Brown gets his Clancy throat ripped Brown out. Walking around, yeah. The but mom melts at the end. Um, yeah, Ch- but it chases um, throats all now he's covered blown in blood. away. There's the potato truck. You, really, you see like some blood in there. The but bully's got like the, the 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 face that's been torn up by the wheel. <laughs> the bully with the yeah. face. Come on, yeah, the bully with the face into the mouth. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm gonna go with one as well. I, I don't think I think it's just it's far more effective and frightening mm-hmm. than in two. I think there's a lot of gore in two, but it's not. Um, it's just not as effective. I thought. Yeah, uh, the slicing of of um, Judd's ankle is just. Ugh. I, I I'm getting. I'm, I think I'm gonna throw up. No, I, <laughs> it's <laughs> awful, and that alone. And again, when Rachel comes back at the end, it's definitely over the top of when that pus is squirting out of her eye. Oh, I love it. I mean, come on, that's terrific, darling. Terrific horror. Mike's like, I'd make out with it in a hot I second. Would. I would. All right. Well, this next one. It's not even so much a versus. It's just it's a there's a scariest death scene. Mm-hmm. So which movie has the scariest death scene? So we've we don't have let's name some contenders. Mel between Pet Cemetery one and two. What was, what's Mel? What's, what do you think is the best death scene in Pet Cemetery and then the best death scene in the sequel? Uh, the best death scene in one is probably Rachel, even though we don't actually see him kill her. Yeah. I just think the Zelda to Gage transformation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with that. And then two, I think it's the, um, motorcycle revving the wheel for the bully. I think on a visceral level that scared me more. Mm. Just the, just the bearing down on his face with a revving motorcycle. So you're, wheel. you're going with Pet Cemetery too. In this case. <sighs> no, I got, I mean, it's much more <laughs> artful in one. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, tough. I guess one gets it. One <laughs> gets it. Mike. I think the scariest scene in the first one is uh, when Gage goes out into the road 
and you just have that surreal moment where the photos are flashing onto the, oh, the, yeah. the Polaroids are hitting on the, the cement and you just hear Dale Midkiss like unbelievable, like, like we mentioned before that still chills me to the bone. Every time I see it, I, I get just like so much anxiety. I just get so worked up watching that scene that that is the scariest moment for me. Um, I wasn't even thinking that that was eligible. I guess yeah. I meant scariest murder scene. Yeah, but, but it's, that it's still totally like, takes. It, I mean, yeah. th- that's all I ever well, think yeah, about when the, I the, watch these movies. The like, category is scariest death. It didn't say that's scary. Uh, it's true. What's well, second one? You know, uh, second one is when the you know Gus's family and he's chasing after him. Yeah, that's, you mentioned that it. whole that whole sequence is pretty uh, pretty frightening. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's it's very unforgiving. It's uh, merciless and. Even just like as as a former again former heavy set kid, the idea of having to run from both your dog and your evil stepdad uh, up the stairs and then down the stairs, and then finding the gun and all this. There's just so much panic there, and then there's nowhere to turn. So there's a lot of like anxiety in that. And as a kid, a form, you know, also a latchkey kid, that always scared me too because it's like he couldn't turn anyone. And then his mother comes, and then his mother, the fact that his mother is also aware of what's going on with Gus. And still with him? Yeah. Ugh. It's really creepy. Like, I got to give the edge to Pet One just because it's a, it, obviously those are the ones that stick with me. But man, it's close because that, that scene in Pet Two just really haunts me. I, and as a former cop, yeah. I could really relate oh, wow. to that chase scene as well. Mac. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was just a little funny, Dustin. Uh, I, I seriously, before you were going to say that, I was going to say my, the scariest death scene for me is when Gage is running out into the street. That mm-hmm. that is such a hard scene. I still find it really hard to watch. I know it's just a movie, but like, I'm sorry. I, anytime there's like a, a child in peril like that, and you know it doesn't make it, uh, it is just uh, haunting. Mm-hmm. Pet two, I think the scariest is, um, and I think it's just, I, I think if. Mm. I'd say the end. I, I think the the like like Edward Furlong looking at his mother like melting is just kind of like, and she says, uh, "Oh, she reprises the the dead dead is better." Mm-hmm. But I think it actually really works in that scene, and only that that scene at the end where where in terms of where the scare where the creepiness and yeah, the scare yeah. really hits home. It's mm-hmm. not just like fun fun scary, um, but uh, for me, it's it's Gage's death. I think uh, well for the second one, I would actually say the motorcycle death, like you said, Mel, because it's not you know what's going to happen. You know he's going to eventually connect, but you just keep waiting for it to happen, and then it finally does, and the scarf gets cotton. It's just disgusting. It's not even that obvious either. It's not it's, it, that scene's not even particularly that gory. No, I feel like the the director's cut was probably gorier, but these were in nineteen ninety two. You know, uh, Bush was still in office, yep. and Clinton was about to come in, and I really I thought you were doing a voice there for a second. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> But for me, I think Pet 1, the scariest death, it's tough because there's not a lot of death. But again, psychologically and emotionally, the Gage death. And then Mel, you said, though, the Rachel death, the off-screen death is still mm-hmm. very affecting. And then just for the hell of it, I throw in then Judd. The, uh, the Judd death with yeah. that. Like you said, the scalpel against the mouth and then biting down his neck. It's disgusting. It's very ah, it's disgusting yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So, because he used like prosthetic head for him, yeah, and it's so creepy looking. His like the eyes on the prosthetic head is so gross. Like, and then, just... so I guess ultimately, though, the first one I think is the best one. So, but that means so I've got Judd, Mel. You said Rachel, and the two of you said Gage, right? So I guess the yeah. Gage death we're saying from Pet One, yeah. is our, is the scariest death scene. Okay, what what shot really well? It oh yeah, very much so. 
All right. <laughs> Next category. What's the score so far? If I'm uh, looking over yeah. here. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, we Mel, we've done ten categories, and it's Pet Cemetery one, ten. Pet <laughs> Cemetery two, zero. <laughs> really, Sorry, Mel. All right. Oh my god. Hey, those Rotten Tomatoes scores are really holding up. Um, most inexplicable moment, Mel. This is from Mel. This is my category. This is Mel's category. Weird Wendigo face popping out of the ground in one versus, quite frankly, a lot of two. <laughs> hey, Mel, what do you think is, is the most inexplicable moment? Uh, thanks, Justin. I'm going to go with Wolf Woman Dream Sex uh, from <laughs> Pet Cemetery 2. Um, I think the Wendigo or whatever it is, there's that moment in Pet Cemetery 1 where Lewis is going up to Barry Gage and he sees some sort of like tremors, ghost, worm ass thing like pop out of the ground or towards him it's it's stupid and i hate it i know some of you like it no i don't like it. my opinion is it's stupid and i hate it um you can't even tell what it is it's not scary i don't get it like there's nothing it's never mentioned again it's never foreshadowed whatever and i think part of what makes pet cemetery 2 so fun for me are these crazy inexplicable moments like when um anthony edwards is dreaming of having sex with his late wife but her head is that uh samoyed's head it's pretty great. Mike? Yeah, I got to go with that. <laughs> Nothing really beats that one. That's true. It's, a, it's just a why is this here moment because I actually like the Wendigo face popping out of the ground because I think that the Wendigo is a pretty indescribable creature itself. So the idea that you have these kind of weird moments where you're like, what the hell was that? Seems pretty indicative of what was actually happening in the book when they're going through, you know, that long walk towards the Micmac burial ground. Do you know what I kept thinking of when I would think of the Wendigo in the book? Yeah. Is the, um, the Cuddy Black Sow. Oh. Uh, from, Ooh, from an old yeah. Tales from the Dark Side episode, it, which is kind of this dark creature with these orange eyes. That's yeah. what I kept picturing yeah. as, as that. So, um, Mac, what do you think? Uh, oh, dog head all the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all, to be honest, though, the, in, in the credits of Pet Cemetery, that that creature is listed as inexplicable Wendigo. <laughs> it looks. I always thought it was Judd's face. Like, oh, maybe. Like popping out, but I can't. I don't know if that's true at all. Yeah. Again, I don't know what the hell's going on with that weird looking special effect face in, in Pet Cemetery. I don't like it. And Pet Cemetery Two. Yeah, that that dog sequence is crazy. And then you couple that with that weird. Is is it just score the guitar electric like, guitar score in that scene too? Well, it's trailing, and like the way it's like lit, like that blue soft light, like yeah. Red Shoe Diaries. Well, I was saying that like, oh, it's cool that Anthony Edwards has a beer sign like above his bed or something. Like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a neon sign. It's, like, yeah. well, it's, it's just like the bar is open or something. It's strange too because the the dog face shows up twice, doesn't it? Shows up also in, in Edward Furlong just having a dream of Zhao of something and. It's not just. Yeah, there's another. There's werewolf another moment. werewolf moment where it takes the place. It's on the chair, I think, by the window, and she, he thinks it's his mom. I think at one yes, point too. Also oh, scary. right, yeah. right, yeah. That was a pretty scary part too. Mm-hmm. I love Pet Cemetery too. What am I talking about? <laughs> oh, um, uh, so actually, folks, wow, hold everything. Hold the Mel. Phone. You've you've gamed the system. <laughs> Mel has gamed the system because we've got a one rock. Nice. For Pet Cemetery 2. I don't think it's like a good category to win necessarily. <laughs> it's not. Hey, you know what? A win's a win. 30-point yeah. win or one-point win. It's a win. Next category. So this is a very important one near and dear to my heart. Best real name of an actor that sounds fake. <laughs> Blaze Burdall as Ellie Creed versus Darlan Flugel as Renee Hollow slash Matthews. <laughs> well, no Mel. Name. 
<laughs> I feel like the my answer to this rests on what Blaze Berdahl's twin sister's name is. It's probably like Amy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they both play Ellie. Based on the based on this information, while Mike looks it up, what do you think? Neither of those names sound fake to me. Re- Blaze Berdahl doesn't sound fake to you? I mean, Blaze, I guess, is like kind of a weird name for a young woman to have. And Darlan is spelled D-A-R-L-A-N-N-E. But for all, for all you listeners oh. out there. Where, where is it? I don't know if they were there twins playing those roles because they, yes, they didn't get I just watched the documentary today. Oh. Justin. But Miko Hughes didn't have a twin. Her, uh, her twin sister, Bo. Blaze and Bo. OK, Blaze wins. Bew. 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 As Bew a Bew star. For everybody Bew out there listening to the Halloweenies podcast, there's a little in joke there for you. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, her twin sister is uh, Bo. I'm yeah. going to. OK, Blaze so Bo Dakota. The Blaze Bo combo. Yeah. <laughs> the combo. Mike, what do you think? I gotta go. The best fake name sounding real name. Blaze Bean Blaze. That's right. Blaze it. Blaze it up, Mac. Darlan Flugel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Come on, guys. Yeah, maybe I want to change. Blaze, I mean, Blaze, I don't, I think I would have maybe gone with Blaze Berdahl if I didn't. If I didn't see, you know, Blaze being Blaze. Yeah. Actually, Darlene it's Flugel. Made it I'm going to go with that. Made it too. more real. Dar- Darlan? <laughs> Unless this yeah. is just a mistake. I it mean, does kind of you think it's like Darlene or something like that. But someone from another country trying to make up a southern sounding yeah. Yeah. name. And then, and, then and, and if you're choosing a screen name, you don't choose Flugel. Well, you know. <laughs> a screen name. I should have mentioned this before we started. Darlene Flugel passed away a couple years ago. So we're not making fun of the actress. We're making fun of the name. That's all we're saying. Okay. People are not their names. Yeah, they are. That is very true. What's in a name? Uh, Claire Danes. Hashtag uh, Romeo and Juliet. William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet. Romeo plus. Oh. Speaking of fake names, Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> There's another one. And that, uh, that's um, like Blaze. I think Baz Luhrmann wins. Darlan yeah. Flugel sounds like like a made-up newspaper uh, Are you saying like, that because of Bugle? From like because of like Daily, Daily Bugle? Bugle? Yeah. It sounds like the Daily Flugel. Okay. <laughs> but I've got to say, Blaze Berdahl, if you said that, that that little cute girl that plays Ellie Creed's name is Blaze Berdahl, I would not believe you. Yeah. Darlene Flugel, maybe. Okay, so wait. Is that split decision again? I've got... Are we really going to rock, paper, scissors? I yes. think we're going to. I got Blaze. I got oh. Darlene. Oh, then... It's oh, we, we, or Darlan. we both did Darlan, so... All right. So, Bla- uh, so Darlan? No, I'm changing my vote to Darlan, and it's it's she takes it. Okay. Darlan, oh. it's because she doesn't want to do the rock paper scissors. <laughs> also, Darlan wins. Hey, that's another that's another rock for uh, pet two. Oh, another PS2. rock. <laughs> I was looking forward to uh, doing some. Uh, okay, flashback death. I think oh, I'm is- actually curious about this one. Actually, Zelda's death in Pet Cemetery versus Renee's death in Pet Cemetery Two. Technically, it's not a flashback though because it yeah, kicks it off happened. the movie. No, it's the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah, technically, uh, I don't know. Is it? Oh, yes, it is because it is linear. Yeah, the it whole is. thing is linear. But he keeps going back to it, so it could be content. You know, technically, no, no. It's... We're gonna keep all this in there, and we're gonna get rid of that category because it doesn't make any sense anymore. Does Plus it? Zelda would have won anyway. Zelda would have won anyway. Zelda would have won. That's not just gives us a chance to talk about Zelda. Now, here's a <laughs> fun fact that we can take to heart: Did a male or a female male? Yeah. It's a man. Uh, yeah. What? Okay. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, Andrew, I'm going to screw this up. Huba, Hubatsek. Andrew Hubatsek starred in Blue Steel as a cashier. And fun fact, Blue Steel also stars Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis, Curtis, who stars in Halloween. You should listen to the Halloweenies podcast. Great role. The casting director in the documentary talks about how they tried 
women actors for the part initially and that like weren't getting the job done and they mm. thought well let's open it up <laughs> and they did well finally a male got a performance a male got a role in uh, hollywood yeah, i mean sexist geez. hollywood mary lambert was, was harkening back to the shakespeare days <laughs> but i think i think you know when i saw this movie as a kid growing up that was really disturbing to me because I didn't make the distinction, and and it's such a character. Uh, he really created the way, you know. Uh, Zelda was so frightening to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just so many things were wrong about that character and performance, in, in a in a in like a scary sense, yeah. not not in a um, he did things wrong as an actor. Um, it's very unsettling, especially yeah, the dream yeah. sequence when uh, Zelda's in the back. And then just runs up to the camera, yeah. And the the, the way it's Oof. shot, and it's you can't tell if it's shrunk or if it's it's very well shot by Mary Lambert. Mike. Who is the winner of uh, best director here? <laughs> That's right, uh, best director, uh, Mary Lambert, who directed <laughs> Pet Cemetery, and Mary Lambert, who directed Pet Cemetery too. Right, Mel. Take it off. I'm gonna go with Mary Lambert, and I know that's not what you expected. Whoa! Again, um, so contrarian. I know. I just feel like she does a great job on both films, and I have to give the edge to her over Mary Lambert mm. because you can just see the vision come across in both films. Um, love that she's a woman director. Yeah, you know that's close to my heart. So for all those reasons, it's gonna be it's gonna be Mary. Mike. There's something about Mary. Mm. You know, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Christopher Lambert, and uh, I, I was gonna go with him for this because his, his his work has been you know fairly non controversial over the years. But I'm gonna have to go with Mary Lambert uh, for this one because Wait, I feel Mary like Lambert, Mary yeah. Lambert. I like yeah. how Mary Lambert, the director of the film that we're voting for here, she is dedicated to that last name. Whereas Christopher Lambert kind of trails off he before he's able to finish the name. Yeah. He doesn't really go for it. It's but like Mary Lambert, she's got the hard T. Mm-hmm. She she wins. Got the hard, got the hard she T. She sticks well, the T. She sticks the T. <laughs> Christopher Lambert, his nemesis in Highlander is actually Clancy Brown. That's very so true. So I'm going to go is. with Mary Lambert. Yeah, okay. I agree. Fair, fair. There could be only she, one, Mary Lambert. She just she definitely brings something to uh, this movie that I just you, you just don't see every day. Did you guys know she went to? Uh, they were talking about how she has like an art background. Like she oh, went yeah. to RISD. And like you can definitely see that with the whole Zelda, the painting, yeah. the gauge thing. Oh, yeah. Like, I, she I, speaks about I, that I wish a King's bit. screenplay had given her like more to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stick around for the interview a little bit later on where we're, uh, she will talk a little bit about that painting. She does. Well. Uh, oh, but my, my winner is clearly uh, Mary Lambert. Oh, awesome. I mean, the sequences in the film are ridiculous. <laughs> the other films Ooh. also got its moments, but this particular film is just. Lights out. I'm not talking about the new Lights Out film. I'm talking about the expression Lights Out effective. Oh, split decision. Oh, it is a Rock, split paper, decision. Scissors. Okay. Right. Mel? Okay. Ready? <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, wow. It's Mary Lambert. It's Mary Lambert. Mel wins. Mary for the win. Well, um, oh, I tallied up. Oh, wait. I've got one more. Oh, a secret bonus round. Best use, best original Ramon song. Oh, Pet Cemetery for Pet Cemetery or Poison Heart for Pet Cemetery Two? Oh, man. How about that? You got to go with Pet Cemetery. That yeah. chorus is great. The the it's just awesome. What, what, Keep what going. How does it go? Just do the baseline. Can I get the baseline? <laughs> Can I get a little bit of the drum? Can I get a little Joey Ramone? You get it. Perfect. Right. Mix it all together, Mac. Pet Cemetery. 
It's Pet Cemetery. Poison Heart's actually pretty good. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's, uh, it's, it's Pet Cemetery. Mel. Mary, Mary Lambert. <laughs> Mary, Mary Lambert. <laughs> Ma- Mary, Mary Lambert. So l- let me uh, let me just take a stab. I think Pet Cemetery wins, right? Wait, wait. I got another category. Oh, oh whoa. whoa. This is exciting. Uh, if you killed both Pet Cemetery 1 and Pet Cemetery 2, buried them in the Pet Cemetery, mm. and they came back, which would win in a fight? In oh, a, in a, oh, in a wow. Zowie fight. In a Zowie fight. Wait, are, are we fighting against them, or are they fighting against each other? They're fighting against each other. This is unprecedented, because as we know, no beings have come back to life from the Pet Cemetery have ever fought against each other, only against living beings. Yes. And what's interesting to know it's is that... It's very, very exciting. The, the, <laughs> well, 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 not only that, but these are, these are two VHS tapes. I was just going to say... Oh, wow. So wait, wait, is yeah, it VHS? Inorganic materials being wow. deposited. This is... Like, um, you want to talk about unprecedented? We're talking about cardboard and tape coming back to life. You're, I mean, you're getting out of you know the Creed household, mm-hmm. stretching a little bit. You're like, ah, oh, this is a cool new house. I like it. You look down the path... And you see these... There's some rustling. There's some rustling. You just see these two little VHS tapes just like... Like going up the... Well, you know, I, I, I I've got picture, the winner. I've got the winner. Oh, it's oh, two wow. for sure. Whoa. It's two in a landslide. It's two. Yeah. Mel, I'll, I'll give my reasons first. I, I've got two. Because you have watched Pet Cemetery so many times on, on tape that you've worn it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's scratchy and everything. It's in bad condition. Pet Cemetery 2, you've watched once and you threw it away. Mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery 2 is going to come back to life in much better condition than Pet Cemetery 1 is. Pet Cemetery 1 will be the equivalent of like walking on bad legs, whereas Pet Cemetery 2 will be coming back like to be Baderman, like yeah. a strong I'm telling you, it's, it's Pet Cemetery 2 because Pet Cemetery 1 plays by the rules. You put those two in a boxing ring and Pet Cemetery 2 is not going to be afraid to bite and kick and scratch and get a wolf head during coitus. So <laughs> it will I mean, truly. It sounds like it's, and it and it and it will raise some hell, as we learned from its video box. Yeah. It will raise some hell. It's true. It will make no sense, and it will win. Well, uh, I'm going to go with Pet Cemetery Two, also just based on that uh, that argument. So I think P2 wins. P2. I think PS2. PS2. I think P2 because. That's that's the only kind of like something like this would happen in Pet Cemetery too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, you um, know, you're not going to get this on any other podcast, no. everybody. So no. I, I know we took a long time to get to the end here, but hopefully, you're welcome. Hopefully, it was, hopefully close, it was rewarding. It was a close race. Well, let's just let's just say <laughs> how that rewarding you is have this? never, ever, <laughs> ever heard or visualized two VHS tapes. <laughs> Specifically VHS, not v- Blu-ray. Yeah, VHS. And if you really want to get part of that era, maybe Laserdisc. Mm. Going up that trail, and we're yeah. talking about the original shooting location. We're talking in about Maine. Maine, not Georgia. Not Georgia. But it was two places in Maine, right? Are you talking about the, the like uh, gravel quarry the, where the Micmac burying no, ground is? No. You're talking about the cemetery. I'm talking about the, the right outside of uh, the Creed House. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think now I think now's a good time to remind people to leave us reviews. <laughs> <laughs> if you love what you're hearing every week, everybody. Every um, week. No, but well, let me do the math here. Okay, okay. Pet Cemetery wins. Oh, awesome! Now that we're talking, <laughs> we're done talking about those two movies. Let's uh, take a short moment, not very long, because we're going to probably be talking about this movie at exhaustive lengths next year. But there's a remake on the way. Mm-hmm. And it's been in development hell for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think at one point, George Clooney was even attached to it. Yeah, about 20 years ago. Yeah, right? <laughs> no joke. Last year, October 2017, which you probably heard in one of our Needful Tweets episodes, Paramount announced that Dennis Widemeyer and uh, 
Kevin Kolsch, the team that wrote and directed 2014's Starry Eyes, which I liked and saw at South by Southwest of that year. Loser Randall also thought it was a good movie. Uh, he thought it was okay. He, he, he thought the ending gets a little crazy, and I agree. No, I think he's okay. But I still like it. They're humming the new annotation. Okay. <laughs> First question, what are we expecting that we haven't seen in the originals? And then two, who would you want to uh, flesh out the cast? That's a good question. I, I think we're going to get more of the Wendigo in this. Yeah, me too. I think we're going to get more of that storyline driving it. Because obviously in the movie, we didn't really talk about in this podcast. But the Wendigo storyline is all but dropped. And it's much more just about the desperation that somebody goes through as opposed to yeah. any type of a spiritual influence, really. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my big thing would be the big addition would be I believe that the Wendigo spirit will be involved based on the starry eyes yeah. plot line and whatnot. Mel? Uh, I don't think the Wendigo is going to be involved. Ah. I think that's a touchy territory, especially um, now that we don't. I don't know. I just feel like they'll, they'll want to be more careful with. Oh, with like the Native Americans. Native Americans. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. And I also think we're going to get CG in church, and I really don't want to. Yeah. But I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I hope that they keep the cast very, very tiny. I hope that they make it bleak. I, I've said all this before on the podcast. I want it to be less campy. I want it to be more dark. I think they could use Gage more, just make his return a lengthier hmm. sequence. Um Casting-wise, I really have to think about it. I feel like Lewis is such a such a hard one to cast. Mm-hmm. Find the right the right an actor of that age. Well, we have to um, go. I'm gonna say Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Okay. I could see that because I could see the kind of descent into madness at the end with him. He I, he could pull it off, and also and also pull off the everyday person. That's mm-hmm. a good one. I like that one though. Here you go. Oh boy, I'm gonna go with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> It's tough. Oh, man. Can we, can we go back to me? Yeah. Mike, yeah. did you have somebody in mind? Is that what you asked? Is that what yeah, you asked? Yeah, I, I was going to go with uh, Dennis Farina as uh, Lewis Creed. Um, the late Dennis Farina. The latest. <laughs> Maybe if we took him to the pet cemetery, he could come back to life. No, no, no. Uh, on, a, on a serious note, I actually would go a little older for uh, Lewis. Now, I uh, suggested this on, the, uh, on our Twitter account when we were doing a live tweet. I think uh, David Duchovny would be a great Lewis Creed. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That would be pretty good. I th- I feel like though, if this was two thousand six five, yeah, yeah. It, even thirteen, even post X Files, would have been a little better uh, in terms just in terms of the age. I yeah. do. I, I think I need him to be in his thirties. Okay, so if we're going really, if we're going that young, yeah. Oh man, um, I, that is a that's a very weird age. You know, for a father, because you got to be a believable father. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll they'll make him look that young. No, he's not going to be like thirty one. I mean, no, I think no. you, just late thirties even would be yeah. believable. I still don't think you can be like fifty. That's like, the thing. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, then no, <laughs> Leo. like he like really do you this do movie. Matt, yeah, right. Well, I, Mac has a really good one for Judd. Oh, I have a I have a Judd one also. But uh, Max is really you got to do Lewis but, but first. But I'll, I'll I'll save oh. I'll save Judd for the interview. Oh, yeah. We do oh, talk yeah. about a little bit in the interview. So if you want to stick around for that, you'll hear some of our mm-hmm. thoughts about that. Um, for Lewis, though, God, not, you guys said Jake Gyllenhaal. I can't get that out of my head now. Yeah, yeah that's Sorry a good for one. the good idea. I just, oh, I'm trying boy. to, like, racking my brain Because of, like, actors. Nightcrawler, like, his performance yeah. in Nightcrawler, like, is so good for, for Lewis, if you think about it. Like, just how he's able to just be, like, you know, so mad. Well, I think probably, like, Gyllenhaal, Andy Samberg. Uh, Andy Samberg? You know. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I don't know. I can't think of anyone else. Like you said, Hall, So I, my mind went right to Tobey Maguire. Maybe that'll be his big comeback. 
You know, you got Chris Klein out there. He's waiting. <laughs> Chris I think, Klein. I think uh, Ryan Gosling can maybe do it. Too. Ryan Gosling I, was thinking about too. I was just thinking about that, actually. Ryan Gosling would be good. Yeah. Honestly, those are really good ones. I, I don't have anybody off the top of my head. I've, I've had time to think about this. but yeah. Wait, I want to know your judge. I mean, I'll obviously listen to the interview, but I think I made a joke that I would have Michael Kine do it. But Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Ish. Uh, well, we can we can we, we can bleep this out with a cat. We can bleep this out with a cat a cat screech. Uh, but it's Keith Carradine. Oh, interesting. Oh, I actually have a, a really good um, uh, Lewis, uh, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I can see that too. Actually, yeah. there's a. I think the Lewis one will be fascinating. There's a lot of good choices out there. Yeah. A lot of good thirty to forty three year olds out there yeah. that could pull it off. You know, but I, how about this? Rachel. Ooh. Sam Neill. <laughs> just kidding. You know what? It's the 21st century. You could just go, go all Ooh, in. I think Sam Neill would be good, Judge. My sister, she... My parents left me with my sister. <laughs> <laughs> How could they do it? <laughs> actually, I, I, I actually do like Sam Neill as Judd. That's like a great... I think, like, like... With beard... He's like, yeah. too young. Not anymore. No, oh, not anymore. Oh, no. Well, he's not like, eighty like Judd yeah, in the book. Eighty. He's supposed to be like on the brink of death. Uh, you could, do, you could, you know, age makeup these days is great. I think <laughs> you could do him. Uh, it depends on how young. If he's acting opposite, for instance, a Ryan Gosling who still looks like he's nineteen years old, Man. he could pull off an older look. A young, I, a with, young, with the bearded si- Sam Neill. I would do Jeremy Renner as Lewis Creed with Michelle Monaghan as uh, Rachel. Have they worked together before? I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe it's just the, I like, I actually the like similar that. names, but Rachel McAdams. Oh, God. She was so good in Game Night, too. I loved her in that. Maybe that's why she's in my yeah, head. Uh, I had oh, underrated such a crush on her. Such a crush. I, I think she's terrific. She's great. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. That is a really good one. I can Guys, see her. I'm really good at this game. Yeah. Uh, how about this wild card? Miko like... Hughes as Lewis Creed. <laughs> Full circle. Let's go. Yeah. That could be great. And they, they, for some reason, they still reference the original one. Even though they're the same characters, and okay. here's a good one. Okay, listen. How much? This is actually a good question about the movie. How much do we think Pascal is going to be in this? Because in the book, he's only in one scene. Do you think he's going to be in it as much as he is in the in the film, or just well, in the he's book? He's in several scenes. No, in the book, he's only in the. Well, he's in the when he dies, and he's in that first dream. But that's the last time you see him. Well, in he the book. leads Lewis into the place, and then he's in Ellie's dreams a bunch. No, not in the book. He's in. He, comes you know, to he, Ellie. he goes to Ellie. It's like it's like off. Uh, it's off. Him, you don't see him. Is what yeah. I mean. Yeah. Okay. But you, will he be a big presence in the movie? Well, in the movie, Rachel sees him basically, right? I think no. no. He's influencing her. He's, he's influencing her, and she, she's thanking the truck driver. Oh, okay. But he's sitting there like, don't mention it. I, well, I can see. <laughs> no, he, goes, he says. He says, I'm not. I can oh, see, that's right. I can oh, see God. like Paul Dano doing that. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's good, Mac. Paul Dano. I really hope that they include him, but that he very rarely speaks. Like, I think it would be really creepy. Not, I, I, you know, I'm a, <laughs> Mike's like, oh. No, no, no. I, like, I, just I like Pascal in the first one. I feel like he could be so, I like it when forces for good are creepy. And I feel like he would be a really creepy force for good if they made him very scary looking, but mm. have him still act as this guide and, and not really talk to Lewis once he's dead. Yeah. I, I see uh, my boy Kevin Hart uh, playing uh, Victor <laughs> Pascal. I'm all in on the camp. I want him in there. I want him to be like you know right. Wait, wait, next Rob, to, Rob Riggle. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Rob Riggle could be on there too. You know, just or no, no. Get um, what's the guy for uh, David Koechner? You're like, oh, you're gonna get up or you know, no. I, I I think let's leave the the funny 
Pasco in the past because I, I I appreciate that. So we did it already. You can just do this more serious one. Mike's one and done. You know, and I'm one and none. And I do have an amazing Judd. And I'll, I'll give you. But what's your Pasco for real? Oh, for my Pasco for for real would probably be uh, Jesse Plemons. Mine's Willem Dafoe. Mm. Oh, that would be a good one. You could. It does, he doesn't have to be he young. Have to yeah, be, yeah. He could just be true. a runner. Um, Dafoe does good, dead, creepy voices. Which, who's your Pasco? Nasratu. I said Paul Dano. Oh, Paul Dano. Yeah, <laughs> we're going in front. Of. I have a question that that, that pertains to the uh, the whole Wendigo, the urban Wait, legend. What's, what's Mike's Judd? Oh, this is a good one. Go. go, go. <laughs> oh God! The the family pulls up. Oh God! Renner gets out of the car. Monahan on the other side. Some like superfluous kids that they you know picked up on the side of Hollywood Road. Over the stress street. Hello, neighbor. How you doing? David Lynch. David Lynch <laughs> oh, as wow. Judd. He could do it. Crandall. I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought which I think would actually make sense now is, is that it Stephen, Stephen King. King. It could be King. It would that be would amazing be if King. King was would do it. But could you imagine a Gordon Cole esque Judd? Oh my God, I'm in. With the does he also have the the hearing aid? He's got the hearing aid. Yeah. So it's actually not even Judd. They've replaced the character of Judd with Gordon with Cole. Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole is retired from the FBI. Yes. Of course, for all you people out there. A good percent that don't know what Twin Peaks is. Gordon Cole was in uh, Twin Peaks. And he's played by David Lynch. I, w- I would also ask you what famous Hollywood cat would be Church? <laughs> Garfield. It's got to be Garfield. Is that, uh, I think uh, Felix the cat. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to have to be that old cat from ABC's hit sitcom, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. <laughs> Uh, I, I just want this cat to have a little sass. I think uh, this cat kind of like brushes up against Lewis and is like, meow. I think, <laughs> I think we get the cat from Kiki's Delivery Service. <laughs> let's get the animated cat mixed in Pete's Dragon style. Let's do it. Let's, let's, get, let's just get Roger Rabbit involved I, in this thing. I would like it if, uh, you know, it's voiced by like Fran Drescher or something. <laughs> Wait, so <laughs> we're going to get the animated cat can, from Kiki's Delivery Service voiced by Fran Drescher. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then he's got to have, like, the, the church has got to have a, a little, like, friend. So, like, Church's pal. So, and that could be, um, you know, Bill Murray as uh, Garfield. Well, or Dave Coulier well, as Well, they, they did say that they're developing a, a, a spinoff called Church's Pals. Oh, Church's Pals. That's a good one. So it'd be like animated. I, I do have a... Okay. It'll, I, I be, want, it'll be a Netflix I animated bring, TV I, I show. I do want to bring it... It's, it's getting a little late. I want to bring, bring it back a little bit. Let, let's bring it back a little bit. Let's all right, bring it back. All right, all right. What would Church's catchphrase be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be... Uh, it'd be like... Uh, I, We're on that. Uh, we uh, should do it. The cat came back. <laughs> but it's like all the time it just keeps repeating even church you smell weird the cat came back the, the tagline then, for, the tagline the new tagline for the movie is that darn cat <laughs> that darn cat of course uh, a disney classic starring Haley mills and frederick murray i just hope that cat hates Monday. i'm sorry not frederick murray dean jones Ooh. not frederick murray dean jones okay make that bluntly clear all right. Okay. Well, I'm well, we've got our Dreamcast and Dreamcat. We didn't give notices. <laughs> well, you know what we should also do, or we're going off the rails. Let's briefly, briefly, briefly touch upon the documentary. Yeah. Oh, sure. oh that's right. Which that's have, true. The title, Unearthed, Unbound, and Ray the Clown. Pet Cemetery. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I thought thought it was really informative, Mm -hmm. but it really did kind of throw me that they had no rights to the footage of the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. And and I don't need to see it 100%, but, you know, when they're talking about very specific sequences yeah. and they couldn't show it at all, mm-hmm. it, it would have been nice to have the refresher because, you know, not everybody saw Pet Cemetery yesterday. You know what I mean? It's true. Mike? Look, it's a 97-minute movie mm-hmm. directed by Joe Campiopino. <laughs> nope, oh, screw that no. one. One more time. No. One more time. We even practice. Uh, well, it's a 97-minute movie, and it's directed by John Campopiano, and it feels a little long. And mm. I've watched it a couple times. The first time we watched it, I had... Well, you watched it twice. That's why I felt long. I, well, yeah. The first <laughs> time... four minutes. Well, the reason why is the first time we all, we all came over, and we all were like, oh, we've been wanting to watch this. This is the, the beginning of the Losers Club podcast. We were like, oh, this, is, this documentary is out. Let's watch it. And we talked about the whole goddamn thing. And then you guys left. And then I was like, you know what? I want to watch this documentary, actually. And I think about 45 minutes in, I was already starting to get a little bored. I just wasn't really is interested in it. It's cool seeing some of the, the shooting locations and, you know, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, come into uh, the set. That's true. Which is very interesting. There's a lot of, like, cool, like, behind-the-scenes footage. Uh, but is there any? Are there any? Is there any footage of interviews with the cast? There's like everyone who's in the movie, isn't it? Yeah, really? um, I yeah. Just except don't remember for Fred Gwynn, obviously, and they are very insightful. I feel like Dale is, is probably the biggest letdown. I feel like whenever he talks, he's like, "Yeah, we had like a really good time." It's just like glowing <laughs> yeah. review. Yeah, and he's like, "I really liked Fred Gwynn." Um, but it is very informative. I, my favorite parts were talking about just how the movie affected the small town. Yeah. Like they held casting calls and like, like 500 people just from the town showed up and they were like, yeah, you can be in this scene basically. So it like shut down this town of Maine for a while and people needed to know when they were shooting and where so that they could get to their grocery store. And it was a big deal. And like Stephen King insisted that it be shot there because it would help out Maine and like give them some attention. And the people were really excited about it. So Again, very informative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you just watched it today, Mel. You guys asked. Um, but I will say that when I'm watching these documentaries, if it doesn't have footage from the movie, it's hard. But that's the reason I think I love the Friday Night documentaries, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, because there's footage throughout. There's just so much to allude to because there's things, there's things you just don't remember from certain films. And um, this, there's a, speaking of documentaries that don't actually have, in this case, music, there's a replacements documentary out there. They interview a lot of people that were influenced by the replacements. They didn't have the rights to the replacements music. Yeah. You need to have yeah. that playing yeah. throughout it's live very footage. Yeah, yeah, it's, just, it's I, just. I kept expecting them to cut, even though I knew they weren't going to. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very weird. Well, there's an interesting review on Amazon that's a one star by Electro Addict, and it was written in, on August 15th. I'm sorry, let me go back to this. 
how do you spell Electro in this case? Electro. Electro. So, so it's about the Spider-Man villain, Electro? Probably. Electro addict. So this person really loves Electro. Probably, uh, you know, Jamie Foxx's portrayal. His or her review is, Maine! It's the greatest place on Earth. Come to Maine! I was curious to hear about the making of Pet Cemetery. I was even interested in possibly learning a bit more about Stephen King. What I got with this documentary, however, was an insane love letter to Maine. My God, <laughs> people can't shut up about how great this Aww. place is. Apparently, it's a magical wonderland where anything is possible. Well, it's Pet like Cemetery the, there. It's like the Department for Promoting Maine Tourism violently overtook the production of this Violent. film. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> I didn't see it yep, that much. I like how it says no. three people found this helpful. Yeah, th- so, so th- some, somebody was on Amazon was like, should I watch this? Oh, thank you for this review. But it's a big deal. Not many movies are shot. Exactly. Same. Yeah. That I, was the charm I, that of was the freaking thing that movie. was charm, the, charming about the documentary, though, was was the fact that King did did want to bring this yeah. to the town to help out the town. I don't know. Uh, and I used to have problems with the production of the movie. Yeah, I don't yeah, have problems yeah. with the content yeah. itself. No, no. I think it feels like it's... The first cut, and now we're going to go in and add footage. That's what it feels like. Yeah, to me. and also, like, I mean, look, it's it's a very, um, I mean, it's 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 an it's not an official documentary, mm-hmm. so it has that kind of sort of unofficial wash to it. But I, I do really like the the poster, though. It looks like an old yes. Columbia, or I think the old Columbia, or the old Warner Brothers video boxes from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Well, it looks like all those like old, um, old like children's novels that mm. you used to get, um, like not the scary stories, but. One of the other like spooky sort of paperbacks that you could get from like Scholastic books or something. Encyclopedia like Brown. Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. <laughs> the Christopher Pike books. Yeah, a little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a nice movie for a film that you know doesn't really warrant a documentary for the most part. I mean, other than you know, obviously there was a, a cool story to show how much Stephen King loves his area, and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of neat, and especially for us and you know constant listeners. I think that's like a good thing to watch. Uh, I particularly loved when they talk about when the film premiered and like mm-hmm. the, the the townspeople were able to go see the movies and and it was just like they felt like they were a part of like this like yeah. sorry it's production. charming maybe yeah. it would have worked better as just like a how the movie affected this area yeah. of Maine yeah. <laughs> documentary it feels like un- unearthed and un- untold story of Maine <laughs> that was it I, I want to go to Maine if you're at all curious about anything that happened behind the scenes it will satisfy your curiosity yeah. that's very true and there's a lot of uh, shots in the graveyard where they like buried Gage there's a lot of interviews taking place at that great yeah. too, which is very strange yeah. to me. Well, there's, they, they, um, they, they do like these interviews with like townsfolk that weren't in the movie, I don't think. I think some of them were no, just like... No, they weren't. Yeah, they were just, just townspeople. They were like in the, the Pascal scene, that's yeah. it. It's a very small cast of the movie. It is, as we yeah. Think about. yeah. Okay, let's start from the bottom, at least from the most recent. What would you give the Pet Cemetery documentary? It's very unfair to judge it, but let's go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> Out of five clown noses, five bright red Pennywise clown noses, Mike... Oh, I gotta kick this off. All right, I'll give it two noser. So it's wow, it's pretty. So you think it's pr- fairly poor? I, it's pretty just, bad. I'll, all right, I'll give it uh, two point five. So you think yeah. it's it's subpar? You think it's, it's, it's subpar? It's an average movie. Okay, you want to go one more? No, I don't like <laughs> uh, Mel, what do you think? Um, I I was gonna give it two point five mm-hmm. just because I really do think it does as well as it can without having the rights to the footage, but that would have been pretty crucial. Yeah, it was pretty crucial. It's cute though, a little long. Yeah, yeah. Mac, uh, I give it two point five bright red Pennywise clown noses. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we've already discussed. Well, so I don't like, have the why. rights to my comments, so I can't uh, comment on this. Ooh, no, um, Justin, those stains. Uh, it's two and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. It's yeah. I. I almost can't even really recommend it. I, I feel like there's probably better 
like 12 minute documentaries on YouTube you could probably find okay, about ouch, it. To be honest. No, I just feel like it's not worth the mean. 97 minutes when you Again, don't when you, that's that's tough. It's tough. It's a tough watch for 97 minutes with without any footage. Yeah. You need that footage. If you have footage, I'm talking about a, a serious possibility of three and a half bright red pennywise yeah, noses. Yeah. So get on if it. you ever get those rights out there, you got it. So let's go to 1992's Pet Cemetery 2. Mel. You know what, Mel? What, what, I want you to go last. I want you to go last oh, for Pet wow. Cemetery 2. Okay. All right. I'm going to give this one. In, no, I'm going to give it. Oh, God. What? what well, let's hold off on Justin. Max, what do you give Pet Cemetery to? I'm going to give Pet Cemetery to two bright red Pennywise clown noses. I found it much more enjoyable the second time as a watch, as a fun watch. Um, it, it it's a it's a blast. It's 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 entertaining throughout. It, I didn't feel like oh this isn't over yet. Like it's really fun to watch all the way through. You're giving it's it two. Good. It's entertaining, a blast to watch, really fun throughout. You're giving it two. I mean, the movie's awful, but it, it's it's <laughs> it's a it's fun to watch. It gets it gets the star as like a, I'm gonna go sit around the the fire with my friends and watch this movie, which fight they do in the movie Pet Cemetery. Seem like that in the movie too. One the VHS. Mike, <laughs> Pet Cemetery 2. The fact that there is a scene that scares me in this. Five stars. Five stars. No, um, <laughs> not even not even noses. I would give it two. Mm-hmm. You know, two two bright red Pennywise clown noses for this. Just because I there is that that essential scene for me. But honestly, right after that scene, I think the whole movie goes down. I, I I just think it's a bit of a mess. And and Mary Lambert will go into it a little bit more coming right up after this. <laughs> I, I I give it two. Bright red, Pennywise clown noses. Um, Clancy Brown, terrific. I've never seen anything where I thought this would have been better without Clancy Brown. Has anybody ever ever had that moment? No one's ever had on the history no. of the world. No Even like life, life, like that. This meeting at this 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 bar was fun, but I wish Clancy hadn't been there. Who would ever say that? No, nobody would ever say that. Like, we gotta I, get him on the podcast. I, I might have stopped watching the new, the new Punisher series if Clancy Brown wasn't in like that no. one episode. That's hey, he's great. He's got a big beard now, by the way. Huge beard. He does. Um, I give it two because of the dual presence and the double letters of Gus. What the hell's his name? Gus uh, Gilbert. Gilbert and my boy Zowie. Zowie. Okay. Mel. Three point two five. Well, uh, right red. Whoa. Three and a quarter. Pennywise clown noses. Three point wow. five feels like too much. Three feels like too low. Definitely better than Firestarter for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. I am not a person who has fun watching bad movies. Like mm-hmm. if someone is like, this movie's really bad, but it's fun. You'll have a good time. I never have a good time. I had a really good time watching this bad movie. It really surprised me. I thought it was yeah. uh, um, surreal in ways that did actually feel thought out to me in, in a way that I, that seemed premeditated enough to merit my admiration and my surprise. Um, so I, I will be interested to hear what Mary Lambert has to say about it. But the fact that I was prepared to hate it and then during the live tweet was losing my mind. <laughs> you were. I, you were having a blast. And admittedly, you, <laughs> well, you kept commenting several times that you were also drunk. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't too drunk. <laughs> too, I also think that, you know, a lot of this tweet. works because of Mary Lambert. I mean, you know, and she even says in the interview, you know, that she goes into obviously like uh, that she wanted it to be a little bit more 
you know, comedic. She would have taken it more of a dark comedy route if she could, and that's why I think there were some problems with it going back and forth. It's those has, studio heads that yeah. are interfering, though. It has that Evil Dead 2 vibe to mm-hmm. me, that whole, like, let's play with this world that was taken so seriously yeah. in the first installment, which is never a bad direction. It's the alien to aliens. It's like, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of just mm-hmm. like the fact that they wanted to use it as a sandbox, and Clancy Brown is in it. Hey, Clancy Brown. Love him. <laughs> I love, we love Clancy Brown. It's great. Love, love, love him. Well, I'm happy we got all that out for Pet Cemetery too, because I'm very curious to see what everybody says about this could be an interesting rating system oh, for yeah. Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. So, Mel, you kick it off. Pet Cemetery, directed by Mary Lambert, yeah. 1989. I didn't grow up with this movie, mm-hmm. and so I feel like I, it's not lionized for me in the same way it is for you guys. I read the book first, and I'm always going to love the book uh, probably better. So. I don't know. I feel like my my end tweet was like, this movie tried to balance between serious and campy, and it didn't really do that for me well enough. I think there are some amazing moments in it. Uh, the the gauge coming back and Miko Hughes as a child actor is frankly mind-blowing. Like mm. I think his performance is incredible. Dale doesn't really sell it for me, um, but I love... Um, what's her name? Denise Crosby. Denise Crosby. I don't know... <sighs> Three point seven five. Three point seven five. That's pretty that's high. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I like the scenery, and and I do think it, it pays homage to Maine in a in a good way. And I think it's it was scary uh, enough for me when I watched it. Yeah. All right. Three point seven five. I'm gonna go with uh, three point five. Bright red, Pennywise clown noses. Wait, I. <laughs> Apparently so. Apparently so. I think it's just what you said, though. I think this is a a, a good movie, a good horror movie. I always like to use the term like a good sleepover movie with some truly like great moments. The Zelda mm-hmm. stuff, obviously, and, and the climax is really strong. I think uh, the the comedy doesn't land at all for me in this movie. As, as brief as it is, it's just a good movie. The book is so much better. Obviously, I think we can all agree on that. Maybe. It's 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 good, not great. It's kind of like uh, we'll talk about this on another podcast called Halloweenies, and it's like Halloween three, which would be a mess without like four particular really good scenes. I think there's a better movie out there. I don't think this is some like such sanctioned ground where you can't make another movie. I have no problem with there sanctioned being another ground. Ooh, it's very specific. <laughs> uh, I have no problem with there being another adaptation, another shot. I think there's a truly great movie that could be made out there. So yeah, three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses, a Mac. Uh, I saw this movie in its entirety finally, like a couple years ago, and I didn't, I didn't love it, but I, there's the scenes that stick with me, like haunt my dreams and they were the same scenes that's haunted my dreams as a kid. And, uh, so I, I'm, I'm still going to give it 3.5, uh, bright red, bright web, pointy wise clown nose. Oh, the odds, oh. the great and terrible. Because, um, because again, I feel like what works really works and really stuck with me even to this day, like I, I think of that movie and I think of like the, the things that really chill me and scare me, like Gage running out into the street. I think at the end, I think of uh, the God, that ending when she walks in the door. I mean, it's, it's shot so great. It's just freaky as hell. Yeah. Um, so as a horror film, I feel like it, 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 it hits those things that it needs to hit for me. Um, yeah, 3.5. Mike, what do you got? Get ready. Whoa. Do I need get to get like, like the takeout? Because this thing is hot. Yeah, yeah you do. Um, I'm giving it 4.75. Whoa. Whoa. Bright Woo. red 
Pennywise, clown noses. Hey. Pet Cemetery is one of my favorite horror films. Mm. I love this movie. I think front to back, this is a solid top-notch horror film. I love the performances. I think Fred Gwynn is fantastic. He is uh, one of the most memorable characters in a horror film, uh, if not in supporting character history. I just like I think his character is so larger than life without being a cartoon character. Yeah. Just like he is in the pages for me. That's why I don't know. I just, I just love him. I actually really like Dale Midkiff in here because honestly, it works that Dale Midkiff really hasn't been in a lot of other movies. Like I, I know him from like Crow Salvation, and like that's it. And like so for me, it's like I, uh, I time tracks anybody? Uh, I have no idea. But you know, and I didn't, and I didn't watch Star Trek. I've seen Deep Impact, but you know, Denise Crosby is always Rachel to me. So like everyone in this movie, for the most part, with the exception of Fred Gwynn, because I love my cousin Vinny, really is their respective roles. So it really just it just feels so iconic to me. Mm-hmm. I think that this film is genuinely terrifying. I used to talk to my friends about this film as like being something like inherently evil about it. I think that the the way that, and we talk about this with uh, Mary Lambert, the way that she shoots this film by altering perspectives and disorienting sensibilities to it, whether it's like the set design or the color schemes and uh, the tones with regards to the cinematography, uh, it's just so stark and so dreadful and so cold and mixed with like the natural elements of Maine. It just feels purely Stephen King to me. Like mm-hmm. when I think of like a Stephen King adaptation, I don't think of The Shining. I don't really think of Carrie and all these other things. I, I really do think about this movie. Like mm-hmm. this is what makes me think of like Stephen King. And I just, I, I just really love it. And I, and like again, like I've, I've harped on and on about like the the Pascal thing. Like I, for me, it reminds me similar to like American Werewolf in London, where like there's. And, and even more so because with American World from London, I just see that more as a comedy than anything. But like yeah. with this is, this is a horror film, but I feel like his levity is sort of that, that kind of classic Edgar Allan Poe, like Casca Amontillado sort of thing where, is it Montellado? Amontillado. Where there's this kind of sick humor at play because everything he says is, he, he, he does have good intentions, but even that last line, right? When he's in the track, he's like, I'm not. And it's, it's just so haunting and there's just a dread to his, his role. And so I don't, I, I never really had a problem with that, but I could see why that's a problem for other people. Like yeah. I get it. Um, but for me, it's just, I, I think it's, it's really tight. I love tight movies. We talk about how like, you know, 90 minute movies yeah. you know, in and out. This is 101, but still it feels really tar- Like this feels really tight and it moves fast, captures the feeling of the book. It captures all the beats of the book for the most part that you really need. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's an effective film. Drama's great. So yeah, 4.75. I'm not going to belittle somebody for loving something. Yeah. You know, if I had loved it and, and you hated it maybe, but uh, no, I'm, if you, if you got that from it, terrific. I, I think I still, it's like, I, I, think, I think it's a good movie. I yeah. recommend it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's uh, a movie that's the Zelda stuff alone is for me incredible. Oh, and then horrifying. the, I talked about earlier the gauge stuff. Yeah, not a lot of the movie, but man, that that really lands for me, and I like the ending too a lot. Yeah, good movie. So we all agree. We all we so we would all recommend Pet Cemetery. Yeah, Mel would recommend Pet Cemetery too. As well, yes, mm-hmm. it's be it's a fun double feature, you guys. It is a fun double yeah, feature, though. Yeah, it it's is. funny if all of us, Mel would actually be the one to own the double feature. <laughs> yeah. the one to own. I love double features. It, yeah. it, if those VHS copies didn't come back to life, she would get the Blu-ray with the it's one disc, like two House movies. House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, but in reverse. Ooh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's actually that. a pretty good comparison. That is a really good comparison. Uh, the the, it's just, it's just yeah. I like House of... In this scenario, I like House of a Thousand Corpses more than Devil's Rejects. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, well, 
we did it. We covered the movies and the documentary. So there's nothing left to do now except for listening to the director herself, Mary Lambert. We have a really good interview coming up. Some really great behind the scenes stuff regarding both Pet Cemetery one and two. And keep listening because here she comes. Paramount Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Cemetery. Hello. Hello. Hi. Sorry. This, this is uh this is Mike Rothman from the Losers Club, uh-huh. and I'm here with also Justin Gerber. Hello. And, and Matt Gerber. Hi, Hi Justin. Hello. Hi, well, hey, right off the bat, Mary, had you read Stephen King prior to working on Pet Cemetery, and if so, what were some of your favorite stories? Of course, I had. I mean, I, I was like, he was one of my favorite authors. Uh, the Shining was like you know changed my life kind of uh and uh the 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 novels the the novellas the four season novellas and uh carrie i mean i've read all of his books i was and uh, you know was an incredible fan um when the project was uh was brought up to me had you read pet cemetery uh before they brought you the project or before you came uh into the production no, yes, of course I'd read the book. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't really, at the time I was made aware of the project by my, uh, by my agent, I didn't, um, I didn't really think of myself as a horror director. Yeah. You know, I wasn't looking for a horror project. I had just completed my first film, Siesta, which was a thriller, um, kind of a psychological thriller, paranormal thriller. And so, you know, I was in that... I was, in, I was in that ballpark, but I, I wasn't really thinking, well, my next movie should be a horror movie. Uh, but then, um, I, you know, because I had read the book, and mm-hmm. then when, my, uh, when, when the project was brought up as a possibility for me, I was like, well, you know what? It's very much the same uh, subject matter, the same premise as Siesta, because it's about obsession, about somebody who is so obsessed uh, and, and loves someone so much that even after that person dies, they can't, they can't get over it. They can't go past it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I realized that, that, that they were really this, they were, it was, it was, I was exploring, you know, an arena, it was in an arena that I was really interested in, in ex- exploring further. And then I met Stephen and it was just, you know, really exciting. What was it like meeting mm-hmm. him? What was it like meeting him for the first time? Well, you know, he um, he really was the one who was going to decide whether I got the job or not. Mm-hmm. He had final he had final say over the director, um, and uh, um, you know, I was going to say it was just awesome. We got along really well. He was like, you know, he was just this intense, uh, creative person who who loves to. Uh, scare people. He mm-hmm. really does like to scare people. Uh, and uh, he loves to write. And he writes every day. I think there's two days a year that he doesn't write, he tells me. <laughs> and I believe it. You know, he he can, cares more about that than, you know, that's what he cares about, that and his family. Yeah. Um, and this and this story, uh, you know, is very, Pet Cemetery was very personal to him because it was based on, uh, or that's what he told me, uh, on, uh, 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 you know, having his son 
his seeing his two-year-old son wander out into the road and and him pulling the boy back. Of course, in his case, there was a good outcome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he Thank saved God. he saved the he saved his son. But he said the whole he told me the whole story flat. The whole book flashed into his head in that moment. You oh, know, wow. and those trucks those trucks really do go up and down those two-lane roads in Maine. You know, oh God, that's um, so we shot it. We shot it right there with, with the trucks. Uh, in fact. Um, the night, you know, one night we were shooting, the, one night we were shooting the trucks coming by at night. There's some, there's some scenes where the trucks are traveling down the road at night. Yeah. And uh, I was so afraid that we were going to hit somebody. Yeah. No. Because, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, of course I have to be a little bit superstitious to be who I am. <laughs> Uh, a little bit connected to the idea that there are no coincidences in life, you know, Yeah, that things happen, uh, because they're fated to happen sometimes. And, um, I had posted people in every driveway, you know, of every house where nobody was staying just to make sure that on the off chance, nobody would wander out into the road while those trucks were barreling down the road. Uh, and then everybody that, I had posted, or that we, you know, the AD had posted. Uh, two or three of them got freaked out because they didn't want to be on the door. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think anybody that, would. <laughs> on that, on that lonely road while we shot Pet Cemetery. Oh God, it was fun time. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Stephen King, and this is one of the rare instances of him adapting his own work. Were there mm-hmm. any any major sequences that were maybe involved in? you know, the pre-production aspect of it before you went to shoot that did not make it into the actual shoot itself that you can recall? Well, uh, we shot the whole script. Oh, I shot wow. everything he wrote. We didn't, all of it didn't go into the movie because it, it was just too long. It got, it was a little bit too long. And there was a lot of really beautiful stuff that we shot in the woods. Uh, I, I really love nature and I really like, uh, working outside, shooting outside, taking a crew and, you know, really uh, being in a place where you can point the camera in any direction that you want to kind of, uh, that's it. Uh, And and Maine is so beautiful and the woods are are scary and beautiful and dark. And uh, so we shot quite a bit of uh, stuff, not, not just scenery, but there were some scenes, you know, when, when Judd and, uh, um, Lewis are, are traveling through the woods and when the family goes up to the pet cemetery and when the, there's, there was a scene, I think there was a scene with uh, 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 the little girl on the path with Ellie on the path. Uh, and it just the, you know, the first cut was, it wasn't like the first cut was three hours long, but, uh, but, but Maybe that's was, a grim three hours. Yeah. <laughs> It was close to two. It was closer to two than it is, you know, in its current form. And uh, I, I didn't want to lose those scenes because I loved them. But I, I, I was in complete agreement uh, with Paramount and with the editors that it was going to play better, shorter. So we, we, we lost some of that stuff. You mentioned but so with, with in regards to the woods, you know, in the book, there's a little bit more of a story behind the uh, the Wendigo spirit. Was that originally going mm-hmm. to be a part of the film, more so, or? Well, I mean, proportionately, there's probably less of it in the movie than there is in the book. But yeah. when you adopt when you adapt a novel, you know, and Stephen understands this, you can't you you 
you have to, you can't put everything that's in the novel in a film. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. You know, at at a certain point, you have to like step away from the novel and and acknowledge that you're you're not writing another book. You're you're writing, you know, you're gonna about to make a a film, and it's difficult with um, material like Pet Cemetery. It's difficult with a writer like Stephen King because. You know, or Harry Potter, for that matter. You know, yeah, there's so yeah. many fans. There's so many fans that care about every single word, every single character, every single. You know, they've imagined the moments in their heads, and you have to be respectful of the fans, and you can't. You know, you have to be very careful when you change. Um, uh, you know, make big changes to mm-hmm. characters and stuff. Uh, uh, but um, this wasn't really about that. This was really just about content. You know condensing the story around the core, you know, which yeah. is sometimes, you know, sometimes dead is better, you know, that was, <laughs> perfect, like, perfect, like, perfect. what is, what is this, uh, what is this movie about, you know? Exactly. Right. And uh, it also has to, it also has to serve the, the people who haven't read the books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you originally get involved with the production? And, and I guess, well, because George Romero was, I, I guess, working out before, and w- was there anything completed pre-production-wise that you were aware no. of before coming in? Well, if there was, I was not aware of it, and we certainly, we definitely started from scratch. Oh, awesome! You know, oh, we wow. went, we went, we went up to uh, Maine, and that, that was that was part of Stephen's um, uh, call. Also, was or part of his. Um, um, agreement with Paramount was that it would that it would be shot in Maine. It wouldn't be shot somewhere else. So there was never any uh, thought of oh maybe it would be cheaper to do this in Canada or or, or Florida or you know anywhere. It was going to be shot in Maine. And as soon as you know, as soon as that my deal was made, uh, we went we went right to Maine and spent a long time location scouting and mm. you know putting together the production up there. Yeah, how I mean, with the small town atmosphere with Maine and having King involved, was it? Like, did it feel like he was this, like the mayor, <laughs> so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the mayor, the governor, the the scoutmaster, <laughs> the the uh, the you know big Kahuna. I mean, he's the big Kahuna in Maine. Um, it, it it was great to have his support. I was it was uh, ev- I never felt anything but support from Stephen while we were making the movie, um, and uh, you know he was he was enthusiastic about my my ideas, uh, and you know it was it was like you know when you do improvisation with actors, the rule is you never say no, you say yes and mm-hmm. you know, and that's the way it, uh, that's my memory of collaborating with Stephen. If I had an idea, it was always yes and, and then he would make it better, yeah. you know? Um, it was never, no, I don't want to do that. Interesting. <laughs> so, so was he on set every day, or was it just like occasionally? No. Okay. No, he, but he was on set a lot. Yeah. You know? I mean, it wasn't like, uh, he was always welcome. It wasn't, it, there was there just was no adversarial uh uh, vibe between us at all. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel like I want to be told when Stephen is on the set. You know, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, he needs to call the night. I just didn't. <laughs> it was like he knew that he was, he was always, 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 always welcome, and uh, uh, and he would show up 
uh, or not show up, you mm-hmm. know, however, however he wanted to do it. Um, yeah, you know, and of course he's the, he's you, the priest or it's a funeral. That's true. That's true. It's <laughs> very job. short. Uh, probably one of his best cameos. But do you, <laughs> do, do you still keep in touch with him ever? Or? Um, not, not, no. I mean, we're, it, we're still, this, again, there's nothing adversarial between us. But like I said, he, he really works all the time. Yeah. And uh, a, a few times we've communicated about things. Um, you know, I would love to work with him again. It just hasn't, it just hasn't happened. It hasn't, it hasn't happened. But, um, uh, I, I, I respect that, mm-hmm. you know, that he, he doesn't, he just doesn't want to hang out and, uh, talk. He wants to write. Yeah. Yeah. This wasn't, sounds like it wasn't a 50 shades of gray situation where he was very possessive over his material and didn't want anything <laughs> to be changed. That's nice to hear. Yeah. yeah, I never, I never felt that. I mean, uh, it's also true that I didn't want to come in and make big changes either. Yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of things in the, you know, visually in the movie that were that were not in the in the script per se, like the portrait of Gage and the little blue suit and things like that. You know, he was always open to, to ideas like that. You know, yeah. that were that en- that enhanced the. the scenes or enhance the story uh so was that your idea to have that botero-esque painting in the in the goldman house and and was that supposed to be little zelda and that's who well, um it was, uh, well you know I, I was just my attempt to uh uh get into the things that scare a child yeah mm-hmm. you know because that's that's what that was what was it this Part of Rachel's, uh, you know, psychosis mm-hmm. was this was this fear and trauma from from her childhood, and it, you know, there's the story about Zelda, but but you know, when you're a child, it's also it's made up of, uh, it's not just there's all, always those visuals that accompany it that sometimes adults aren't even aware of, um, and we were there sort of in New England, and the I just love those portraits, those creepy, creepy portraits yeah. that they used to do uh, in, in uh, you know, in the 1700s uh, mm-hmm. uh, of, of children. They were actually, most of them were death portraits because there was such a high right. mortality rate at the time and people didn't have photographs. So they would have paintings done of their dead children before they buried them and they would put them in those little clothes like little adults, you know? Yeah. And when you see those portraits, um, you, you're always aware of how creepy they are, even yeah. if you don't know that it's probably a dead child that's being painted. And I, so I was just trying to come up with all the kind of visual support I could for why why Rachel was so traumatized by Zelda, and why you know in the book it's a way it's a way that the the evil spirits enter the life of the Creed family is is through this you know. This fear that that Rachel has that's from her childhood, you know, through Zelda, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, Zelda is actually, well, you know, whether she's incarnate or not, it doesn't matter. She's she's still she's still the conduit uh, that the that the evil spirits use. So, uh, yeah, you know, in regards to the painting, it's something I I think a lot of us didn't discover until several rewatches later. At least for me, as growing up mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. 
it's not some obvious shot on the paintings where it kind of lingers there for too long. Where Which you're I like, love. hey, remember this later. Yeah. It's just it's just in passing. And then having rewatched it many times, that's when you start to pick up on, oh, wait, what, what the hell? Is yeah, that the same gauge? Wait, wait, what? Because it adds to the dread. Exactly. Know? Like that, that, the one thing I had, I had remarked because we we did a live tweeting of this a couple of weeks ago before we were we were going into the book for the episode, and um, mm-hmm. one thing I noticed is that the uh, the sense of space in the Goldman House is so like everything seems so the colors are 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 very jarring. Like you have like a lot of stark whites, but you have a lot of things. Uh, around the, the 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 walls, and even in like Judd's house, there's a lot of clutter in in the sense. But like, so it kind of you know when you actually see something move, it really is really jarring to you. Even the bedspread, I think, in his house is is got these like interesting checkers to just kind of disorient your eyes. And I and I wondered that if, was, was the creepiest. That was the creepiest bedspread I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was that was like from a yard sale, you know, up there in Maine. Somebody actually slept with that on their bed. It wasn't even a, a prop. Oh. It was like real. It was so oh. creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's just interesting. There's like there's such a, an attention to detail to kind of convey that sense of dread. Well, you know, I had a great art team and a really great, uh, really, really good set decorator. But that that was a big focus for me. I mean, I, I'm a visual person. I studied painting. I didn't actually go to film school. So, like, you know, the fra- what's in the frame is important to me. I yeah. really, really, really like to tell the story with the picture as much as I can mm-hmm. um, when, when, when I direct. Uh, you know, dialogue... Uh, good dialogue is fun, but how little of it do you need to tell the story? You know, especially, especially in a horror movie, a horror, a fantasy, you know, a movie like Pet Cemetery is not about uh, what people are saying; it's about what they're not saying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about it's about their it's about their inner lives, and that's particularly true of Stephen King. Almost all his books. Uh, rely heavily on the in- interior voice, you know, the inner monologue of the uh, of the protagonist, and it's very difficult to, uh, you know, bring that to life without a voiceover. And so you you have to kind of do it with uh, subconsciously or subliminally with the visuals as much as you can. Yeah, uh, that's what I think. Um, yeah, the the fungus that you know, when when Judd's house when uh, when Gage, you know, uh, intrudes into, uh, comes back from the dead at, uh, it, in Judd's house, it's, uh, there's like moss growing over everything. It's right. like, uh, I wanted it to like be kind of become sort of like the, the forest itself, you know, like the dead wood. What's funny about that is, um, when time was pushing their Stephen King collection, they would constantly use, clips from T- Pet Cemetery. They would yeah. use the scene of um, of Judd reaching and, you know, being killed. Only his hand, of course. Mm-hmm. They showed again, like, uh-huh. the mossy stair- the staircase and then um, yeah, yeah. the house exploding. Yeah. Of course, as a child, I didn't know what any of this was. Yeah. No, I, I just thought, uh, is this just, did they just shoot this for I a Stephen King book promotion? I vividly remember that, though. I vividly yeah. remember that. The shots of the house being used in that trailer for the books. But those uh, trailers did lead to my eventual love of Stephen King. Uh, you were you were talking a little bit about little Miko Hughes, this little cute gauge. <laughs> and um, <laughs> watching this movie obviously is a very disturbing film. But what steps do you take as a director to ensure that like the atmosphere on set wasn't too disturbing for the children, for Ellie, for the, the actress who plays Ellie, and of course for Miko Hughes? 
Well, Miko was the one who was the most at risk, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, 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 he and I just had a really strong bond. I really fought to have him play the part. You know, Paramount was concerned. They wanted to have twins. Um, oh, yeah. And we, 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 we auditioned a lot of twins for the part. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the character is supposed to be uh, not quite two. And children that age are, are very few children are, are verbal by that age, you know, mm-hmm. especially boys, especially little boys. Um, and I just had this incredible connection with Miko uh, in the casting process. And I really begged and begged and begged and said, please, can we hire this kid? He's going to do it. You know, he's going to he's going to perform. He's going to do a performance. And he wanted to. You know, he, he, I taught him how to say, you know, I taught him action. <laughs> I taught him, you know, how to, how to come to his mark and stand still. And he was just eager. He was eager to do it. I don't know any other way to explain it. I think because I've worked a fair amount with children. I enjoy working with child actors mm-hmm. uh, and younger actors. And uh, to me, the thing I always look for is, whether they really want to do it, because a lot of them are pushed into it by their parents, or yeah, yeah. you know, I don't doubt uh, it. and it's or you know, they want it. Just they just want the attention. They don't. But uh, if they really want, they want to be part of the team. You know. Yeah. Uh, and um, Nico just did. So, you know, I tried really hard to. Um, and Fred was fabulous about about it uh you know he we he met we would make things into games you know like um, okay we're gonna we're gonna pretend to fight and i'm gonna be on the ground and we're gonna roll <laughs> around and you know but whenever there was blood uh we, he wouldn't be there like in the scene where he bites the neck yeah um he, you see his face come you see his face and he's going god he's trying to scare fred you know he's Fred's like scare me okay you can scare me <laughs> and then the 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 actual head that bites the neck is a, is a puppet that's a puppet interesting um, oh wow that's uh, so i mean i i mean they wow. you know i what i tried to do what i i have done in other instances and i think it worked through and this is of course before the era of uh uh everything being cgi but um, if you mix puppets with re- reality, you get a better, uh, you get less of a puppet feel, you know, because yeah. the, the audience is kind of subliminally aware that, wow, that was really the little boy. Mm-hmm. And then they're not looking to see, oh, it's a puppet, oh, it's a puppet, you know. So in some cases, we used a puppet when we were on his back or, or if there was a close-up, and then we would, you know, cut to the reverse and it would be Fred with the, with the gaping wound in his throat. So obviously, well not obviously, but I, I let me assure anyone who's listening that Nico <laughs> did not have to have to do that. Um, you, and the little hand with the knife, that was a puppet. And the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when he jumps down out of the attic, we didn't push the two-year-old out of the attic. <laughs> that was my follow-up <laughs> question, my follow-up <laughs> demand. How dare you? No. <laughs> well, uh, but... But, but when he turns around and says, no fair, no fair, that's Nico. And it, I don't Aww. think, I mean, that was, that's one of, to me, that's one of the most affecting moments in the whole movie where you, you know, there's like this ambivalence in the audience. It's like, you, you, you feel sorry for him, even though, you know, he's a monster now, you still feel, you still feel sorry for him. Oh, yeah. You know? 
Well, um, speaking of actual effects that happen, uh, when Dale Midkiff rolls out of bed and hits his head on the the side <laughs> table, was that planned at all? I mean, it's, it's it's become like one of the biggest gifs on the internet now. Um, it's every time I watch it, that's like still the most wincing moment for me. Was that was that an improv well, thing? Was, no, I mean it was planned, but it wasn't planned for him to hit it quite as hard as he did. Wow, wow! So it was uh, still he, planned. He, he, okay. I thought was, we thought it was, it was an accident. He, we thought it was an accident, and he, it looked so well, good. You kept was, it. It was an accident in that he actually did hit his head, but he wasn't supposed to. He was supposed to, like you know, roll roll out, and then we were going to cut to a. Um, we were going to get a stunt double, and we we're going to see the knock or something wow. like that. But, but I don't know. Dale just went for it. <laughs> that is excellent, and we finally found out the answer, yeah. which is even more important. <laughs> yeah. Well, well well, there is a one thing about Dale Midkiff that I wanted to see that in, in the IMDb trivia section, where apparently I guess there were scenes reshot. Originally, he was wearing just a jockey shorts, like as it's described in the novel. But it, according to the trivia, it says the filmmakers were concerned that Midkiff's attractive physical appearance would diminish the eeriness of the scene. Is that <laughs> a, is that is that true? Or a... well, I wasn't worried about it, but other people were. So they they asked, they asked me if I. I mean, I, I always like to see. Handsome guys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. He is a handsome guy. Yeah. He was. A Dave uh, Dale is is a very attractive man. Um, yeah. And I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like it was uh, uh, graphic or crude or anything. He was just wearing boxer shorts, you yeah. know. But he, um, but he 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 looked pretty sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, well, uh... he looked pretty sexy, and I guess with the light, I guess we lit him pretty well, and. Uh, you know, um, they, there was just concern, you know, from the studio that uh, that, that that it was going to take us out of the picture. And well, I guess because so we, we shot it, we we shot it in the scrubs. It, it, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me. I don't I don't like to, uh, you know, I don't like to choose my battles. I don't, there's no point in fighting <laughs> right. over stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. You still got Pascal I mean, in the short red shorts, I guess, in the end. So we still got Pascal. <laughs> exactly. It's it's the minor victories that count. <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, sexy men, uh, we, the first choice for for Lewis was was Bruce Campbell originally, and was he ever approached? Uh, um, that might have been with George Romero. Oh, although okay. Bruce, Bruce was brought up. Uh, I, I my first uh, I, I was sort of hoping to work with Keith Carradine. Um, who I think would have been an, an incredible haunted Lewis. I mean, I was oh, very absolutely. happy with Dale. Dale did Dale did a great job, and um, you know, I, I don't have any regrets uh, at all, uh, except that I do regret I've never worked with Keith Carradine except on one Madonna video because uh, I, I I really I think he has a very tortured he he would have been a very good tortured soul. Absolutely, he is great. I think you're selling yourself short a little bit. It was the Material Girl video. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's not just uh, some it's a Madonna project she did in the '80s. That's no big deal. Give yourself some well, credit for that. Well, he was a dream to work with, and I've always wanted to work with him again. Wow, that's I've never thought of that, but that would have been an interesting take, I think, on Lewis. He's, oh, absolutely. We love Keith Carradine around here. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We actually have a couple of reader questions that uh, were regarding uh, Pet Cemetery One, and uh, one mm-hmm. of the first questions was, uh, "What was the hardest part 
uh, about adapting the book to the screen or maybe what was the hardest scene to adapt? Like, was there something on the script that everyone kind of maybe had to come together that you had to like, maybe like, Oh, all right, well, how the hell are we going to do this? You know? Well, I think probably it was the Wendigo thing um, yeah. mm. because you're right. It was a bigger, it was a bigger thing in the, um, in the book. And I think that we all wanted to be respectful towards Native American burial grounds mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the in the in the process. My, my, I, I did, and and Stephen did, and you know everybody did. So uh, we didn't want to, uh, you know, we had to be very. We had a, a we had to cut the material down, mm-hmm. um, which meant less room to be respectful. You know, less room to explain that. This is this was the spiritual meaning, or this was the spiritual thrust, or this is why the uh, Native Americans were, you know, did this. You know, mm-hmm. it's less room for, and and it also that's not the kind of thing exposition like that is uninteresting to me, and I think it 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 ruins a film if you have too much of it. If everything has to be. Uh, has to have footnotes and um, explanations. So that that was probably in the script for me and for other people too, uh, a, a place where we had to change things a little bit and mm-hmm. be really be really careful that we didn't um, say something that we didn't intend to say. Yeah, you know, and it's I, I could totally see that, and it's also a really hard aspect of the book to adapt in general. I mean, even when I was reading it again mm-hmm. for the third time. Just visualizing the Wendigo, it just seems such a amorphous shape that to put it to screen, I think, would just have been hard. I, I like the idea that the, the, it really just comes in and sounds. And if you knew the the book, you would kind of have an idea of what it was that they actually heard. Mm-hmm. You know, so I thought I thought this is a smart well, choice. Uh, well, also, you know, the uh, most of the Native American uh, myths and and religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs that I'm aware of are a little hard to translate into Western culture anyway, mm. because mm-hmm. they, you know, they, it's just a different concept of, of time and a different concept of spirituality and dream time, especially, but that's why they're so intriguing and, and, and meaningful also. So. Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. And we got one more reader question for Pet Cemetery One. Okay. Although it's more, it could be about it, really anything, uh, to be honest. What unique values do you feel female filmmakers bring to the horror genre? It's too, so many Fs. Oh my gosh, a lot of, that was a lot of alliteration. There. <laughs> yeah, I was say. Uh, okay, I think that the best horror films for me, the ones I like the best, have some sort of integrity structure, you know, or they're they're uh, mythic, or they're 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 tied to the world of of myth, hmm. uh, and and um, they're fables. They're cause they're cautionary tales mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know on one end of the spectrum or they're they're about a spiritual quest you know or or a trip to the to another realm you know of uh, uh, the realm of death yeah. basically and I think um, you know I know a lot of really spiritual men but I think in you know that women are particularly suited to explore uh, uh, spiritual uh uh spiritual ideas mm-hmm. and you know for a lot of reasons i mean women give birth you know you, you for nine months you <laughs> you're just 
you've got something there that you can't see. Yeah. But you just have to you have to believe it in it. You know, you have to believe in 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 that baby that you're carrying, mm. um, mm-hmm. uh, that human being. And there's other there's other reasons too. But I think women are uh, are are particularly suited to deal with. Uh, the unseen nature of true spirituality. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting take. Obviously, yeah, like you said, men have yet to figure out a way to <laughs> become pregnant. <laughs> and um, God bless them. Uh, and that's that okay. Happens, we're gonna... <laughs> that's a, no, no, no. It's, we, um, oh no, no, no. We'll be, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We appreciate everything I'm, that you I'm go gonna... through. I'm not going to get political now. I could, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, no. Go for it. Please go for it. We get well, very po- we get political on this podcast. I, Don't worry. I think there are going to be some laws that are going to change when that happens. Yeah, right? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. I oh, my got gosh. it. You, you, you think? Yeah. Uh-huh. Just a little bit. To um, take us back to happier times, Pet Cemetery. Um, <laughs> I, you may have heard by now that they're, they are actually going to be doing another adaptation of Pet Cemetery, uh, I think next year from the Starry Eyes directors. Uh-huh. Yeah, what's your take on that? What do you think they they'll do differently? Maybe something that you couldn't do because of the time period in which you shot. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never felt. I, I've always felt like. I mean, they've been talking about this remake for ten years. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, um, uh, and I I certainly think you know. People have said, "Well, don't you want to direct it?" I'm like, "No. If they're going to remake it, you know, then that that there should be a different director. I think because I I think I did. I don't know, you know. It would be such a different movie. I don't I don't know. I, just, I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that question. What's my take on on the remake? Um, I'll be really interested to see what they do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Can what can they do to um to make it different? Do they want to make it different? Obviously, uh, effects wise, they can do some, um, if I could do, if I could change the movie that I made, that I directed, uh, the one element that I was never happy about was the deadfall. And that that was just, there was some limit, there were just limitations. Uh, the, the first round, the, the effects that that were done for that were really, really bad. Um, when the, when they did the preview screening, the the numbers were so were so good. Mm-hmm. The Paramount said, "We don't need to." You know, I, I wanted to do the effects, and I wanted to go out and get the effects done correctly. And they were like, "You don't need any effects. Just you know, it's testing fine. Yeah, spend <laughs> any more money on it." <laughs> that was kind of it. Uh, so, uh, I guess uh, I guess the effects um, effects can be yeah can be awesomely different, you know, and, and, and also it'll be interesting to see how they cast it because like we just talked about, I mean, how different would Keith Carradine have been to Dale Mitkiff, you know, it would have been a really different Lewis Creed. That, that character, there's a lot of room to, uh, to explore, I think, the character of Lewis Creed because he is the, he is the protagonist in the book and we spend the, in, when you read the book, you spend a lot of time inside the head of Lewis Creed, and uh, that could be much more the focus. Um, that could be much more the focus of the story and the script. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when I was reading it this this go around, I was kind of picturing him as Judd. Now, 
Yeah, we talked about that. The possible. We always. Keith Carradine could be Judd now. He could be yeah. Judd now. That would be cool. Yeah. That would be very cool. It's I mainly, hope they consider him as Judd. <laughs> yeah, it's mainly because whenever we, we try to cast these books, we always try to find a way to bring in Keith Carradine yeah, and Clancy Brown. <laughs> yeah. Who we'll <laughs> talk about in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I, I guess speaking of Pet 2, like, um, you know, what drew you to the sequel and how involved were you with the story? You know, having been involved with the first one, I imagine, like, you know, yeah, what was, the, what was the process in this? Well, um... Honestly, I really wanted to make the story about Ellie. Yeah. Oh, that's um, what I was going to there, there, uh, that I mean, I would really like to do a sequel to Pet Cemetery about that. That that's Ellie's story. Yeah. Um, because you know, the, Ellie comes back, and I'm not going to tell you my idea right now. Because oh. <laughs> uh, well, we we've talked about that for <laughs> so long <laughs> on the podcast. That's my number one sequel I want from, uh, Steve, from Stephen King is Ellie's perspective on what happened to her because. God, talk about a tortured character. Uh, Can you imagine when she comes back, you know, if she came back, if she lived her whole life in Chicago, she grew up in Chicago and then she becomes a young woman and, and, you know, uh, she just has this memory of what happened to her when she was uh, six years old. Mm -hmm. I I mean, um, I think it's, 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 it could be a really great. Oh, I agree. I agree. But, but they didn't want to, that's not, that's not what they wanted to do. I mean, this isn't the first time in my career that, you know, the idea that we don't want, especially, if, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we don't, you know, a woman can't carry the movie, a, and a girl can't, mm-hmm. really can't carry the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. We can't, we don't want to do a movie about a young girl. It's going to be a big movie, and it's got to be, have a man as the protagonist, you know. So that's my little rant about Ellie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but that's not what they wanted to do. The, the, uh, um, uh, it was decided, and, and I was very enthusiastic about the idea that was proposed because I also really love working with teenage boys. So the idea was to, you know, take to not have it involve the Creed family at all, but just the myth of the pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when the idea was proposed that it would be. Uh, about two preteen uh, boys, uh, and then you know, then the idea of working with Eddie Furlong on it, I got very, very excited, and that's how that story came to be. Interesting. That's, that was the beginning of that story. Um, well, w- were you disappointed not to be able to to shoot in Maine like you were able to in the first one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I, mean, I, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> You, you let know, Hollywood yeah. get to your head, you know. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> you need well, to no good deed goes, no good deed goes unpunished. No. You know? yeah. Why would they want to? Why would, why would they want to let me do? They want to give me uh, some creative freedom on pet too. Yeah, Lord forbid. Like, well, hey, you know, they brought the yeah. Creed mailbox. That's the yeah. least they could do. So <laughs> that was <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> <laughs> well. I had a really good production designer and, uh, uh, for Pet 2, and I, I think she did a great job. So Yeah, yeah um, we were going to say that stylistically the movies recreated. are so different. A lot of that is, is, you know, because it wasn't in Maine anymore. It was in Atlanta. So, you know, we had to, like, uh, work with uh, uh, the exteriors that were available uh, to us in, uh, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which has become like a total hotbed for directing now. <laughs> it's totally become a hotbed. It's like the new but Hollywood. But I thought that the, 
when the when we burn the attic down, um, I thought I really loved that scene. That that scene turned out really really well. And that was, you know, that was uh, my production designer uh, and uh, the effects guys. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though with the with the the second one that goes out of control. We were talking about how you know kind of paralleling the Evil Dead series. And the first one was, you know, very serious and, and like hor- horrific. And the second one feels like a hardcore horror film in a way, like a, almost like a um, and at some po- some points even like a horror comedy, just because you know Clancy Brown is just so like. Isn't he great? Oh, he's I love him so much. I really want. I w- I wanted to make it more about the dark humor. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to have pushed that harder, but um, I I got a lot of pushback on that. Mm-hmm. I, I that that wasn't the film that. Uh, ultimately that that you know um that they wanted mm-hmm. uh but clancy clancy is just he's such a brilliant physical actor and oh, God, what's yeah. the worst thing that could possibly happen if you're a teenage pre you know a 12 13 year old boy is your um your mother uh your single mother remarries the asshole sheriff <laughs> in yeah. town what could be what could be worse? Oh, well, gosh. you could he could die and you could bury him in the pet cemetery and he could <laughs> come back and he could be a zombie. Yeah. You know? I mean that to me that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. I mean it's 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 darkly funny, but it's funny like a teenage boy thinks is funny, you mm-hmm. know? And um I I think that could have been made stronger. Uh I mean I but uh I, I, I would have gone for more of that. Yeah. It wasn't the script itself was not as scary as as the Stephen King story. You know, it's not. It's yeah. not. It's a, it's a, it's set in a different town. It's it's got different characters. It doesn't have the same. It's not. It's not drawing on the same mythology even really. It's not coming from the same place really. And so, uh, uh, I thought, and especially with the cast that we 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 were able to put together with uh, Eddie and. And Clancy, they were so great together. I mean, you know, uh, Clancy's so, he's such a, like I said, talented physical actor. And uh, uh, there were the scenes where he's chasing Eddie. And, you know, Eddie was was young. Eddie was really 13. Uh, And uh, I was worried about, uh, you know, lots of things. I was worried about it being convincing. And um, Clancy was like, he better run fast because I'm going <laughs> to shit out of him. You know, and he was like, he, he would just like egg Eddie on. We, we knew. But just like, he, he, got, he got Eddie into it, you know, uh, in this great, in this great kind of improvisational physical, mm-hmm. describe it. But I also knew that Clancy was in complete control of things and that it wasn't, you know, he, that it was a game and it was an acting game and it was going to work. Um, but that I didn't have to worry about Eddie getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't ever like to worry about. Oh, of course not. Yeah. We just have one final question. You were talking about working with Edward Furlong, obviously Miko Hughes. So what would you say is more difficult uh, dealing with practical effects or dealing with child actors? Uh, practical effects. Like, like, burning down the house and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know. It's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. I mean, <laughs> I love working with actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do. And I don't, you know, as long as there's not uh, a personality clash or, 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 or I'm uh, working with somebody that just has, 
you know, it just is really self-destructive and wants to take everybody down with them. Uh, uh, I, there's, there's no downside to working with actors. It's, you always learn something and it's fun. And plus, which I really like kids. Um, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm, I never grew up. So like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm still a teenager at heart. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that's, that's, you know, that's great. I love that. I mean, it's hard. There's time limitations with children. Um, right. uh, 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 I mean, effects are nerve-wracking because, uh, especially things like burning. We we burned a lot of shit. We burned a lot of <laughs> houses down in Pet One. We we burned. We were on a, We were on inside of a set. That that attic was a set on a stage. So I had a whole crew inside that set that was inside another building, and it was dangerous. You know, I mean, it was. Right. Obviously, we were we were. Uh, adhering to all the safety practices that we needed to, and there were firemen standing by, and there was every a thing to ensure that no one got hurt. But there's, you know, at the end of the day, anything can happen. You know, accidents happen, and so that that it's always nerve wracking for me when I think I'm putting, um, you know, other people's safety or, or at risk, and. Um, so I guess I would have to say that that's the hardest thing because emotionally I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want anyone to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you, you mentioned nerves and danger and actually leads us to a bit of a follow-up question. And that would be, I mean, what's more difficult? Would it be practical effects or dealing with sting? <laughs> I, we had to put that, we had to say, we had to ask. We, we love sting. I, we, that, we just had to yeah, ask. The police we is one of my favorite bands of all time, but yeah. You know, um. <laughs> well, I would have to say that, um, uh, dealing with Sting was a lot of fun. So that's um, right. That's great. That's great. We're, okay. we're, we're just having uh, well, fun, Sting. But you know, well, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully we we'll talk to you in the future. Thank you so we'll much. See you Mary. down the road. <laughs> There's one spot in the whole room where this works. Hey, um, I love talking. I love talking to you guys. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Well, hopefully, we we'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Good night. Bye. Hey, I told you the interview was great, and I would never, <laughs> ever lie to you. Hey, the first interview of 2018. First one oh, of yeah. hopefully many to come. Now, next week, we will be doing another Needful Tweets episode. We'll also open up the bag of bones, I think. It's been a month. Yeah. It's time, so keep an ear out and an eye out on Facebook. We'll be asking you to submit us some questions related to Stephen King and whatever pop culture questions you may have. And our next book is going to be starting in a couple weeks. Mike's flapping the his arms. Eyes of the Dragon. Mike did amazing sign language to, to indicate that's what it is. Mm-hmm. The Eyes of the Dragon. Look into the eyes of the dragon. You're probably saying, why are the Eyes of the Dragon? They come in 1987. You're wrong. And I will explain why we're doing that book next. But until then, long days and pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot Consequence Podcast Network.